2: My name is Dave Hanratty and there will be no encore. Welcome back to the No Encore Music Podcast. It's episode 366 and I've got a superstar with me this week, everybody. The busiest woman in showbiz, Cork's finest. She's back on the show. It's the one, the only,
3: Vanilla Jones. You're so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, We are very
2: annoying. <laughs> is that going to be the entire episode? I been, think so,
3: yeah. I think we been, might have a fight. You've been
2: slagging me off a lot <laughs> lately and I don't, I don't even know why. There was the... Coachella incident. Don't
3: someone had to tell you you went through a whole episode mispronouncing it and no one was intervening. I took it by myself and I did it with kindness and love. I thought,
2: yeah, that's true. You did. "Mm," He says through gritted teeth. No, no, you couched it quite well. And I've changed since then. I've seen the error of my ways. Yeah, I can see it. And yeah, yeah, and I'm trying. Mm. Uh, I do have some, um, some, some Sarah feedback from someone else though. So last week about me, yeah. Last week's guest on this show, Hugh Carr, who was excellent, by the way, on our Midwest. I email. loved
3: it. Loved that episode. That was Chat raging uh, he didn't feature follow boy, but anyway, that's, that's I, that.
0: I had confirmation, external confirmation, that it was the right decision. I
3: think it was right on a literal sense, but yes. On a personal sense, it just annoyed me that I, I, didn't I was to annoyed. Hear about I was also them.
0: annoyed. I couldn't pick them. Kind of, yeah, really raging because they would have been. To quote them, number one with, bullets, uh, number one with
2: Dalham, a bullet, I think. That's Sonic Architect Adam, everybody. No, um, Hugh Carr, who was great last week. And well, he
3: can say whatever he wants to my face, is what I'd say, first of all, Hugh It's what Carr. you haven't said to his face. Apparently,
2: you know, there was some talk of maybe doing something together and he said... He's you-
3: still... No, he's on the... So, okay, sorry. I did reach out to Hugh to come on Flap Culture and that offer still stands, but I am not in the process of planning guests for season three yet, but that is this summer's job. So, yeah. Hugh... Expect an email, but not if you keep giving me that fucking lip, right? <laughs> so, Vanilla
2: Jones, uh, as you can tell, Only messing. Is, is an ace, an ace caster who uh, uh, is the host of Flop Culture and the now revived Bandwagons. Um, Flop Culture, of course, you know, I appeared on that recently enough, you know.
3: Great th- episode, one of the highlights of season two, I would say.
2: Colin Farrell, some have said the best episode of the show ever.
3: Uh, I th- well, at least one person said that, yeah, so you couldn't take that to the bank. Did more people say that to you? I've
2: heard a I've heard around town just like I, I walk into shops and oh okay and they're like,
3: like oh my god it's Dave Hanready
0: from, from the, fl- that's the guy, <laughs> from the Colin Farrell episode of the, the Flop Culture
2: podcast yeah. yeah yeah so you know like a hard act to follow I would say we
3: are going to have to do a revisit if Britney talks about him in any way in her book Britney yeah, Spears I should yeah. say just for the listener in case anyone thought I was referring to a different Britney but yeah you'll have to come back
2: okay, well, I'll come back for anything vanilla um it, like, there's kind of a crossover appeal on this episode I think because we're doing top five music flops yes. How do you define a flop?
3: I My definition on the podcast is pretty loose. Uh, but for the basis of this, I've gone for something that was either commercially not viable, commercially did really bad or critically wasn't exactly successful. Might have been a little bit panned, but, you know, still holds a nice soft place in our hearts. We still love it, despite what the people said with their wallets or with their... Horrible words in their in their magazines and <laughs> their newspapers.
2: Yeah, I've tried to lean into like fiascos where possible. So
3: okay, great. Okay, I think you'll take a different. I think you'll have a different approach to it than this. So that's good. Because well, I was thinking, you know, there's an obvious one, and it's like the U two. Oh, oh, maybe I shouldn't oh, look at, say this. Like
2: jumping in. No,
3: okay. No, you're right. In. But there are like some there are some good examples from that. But I've gone kind of strictly. It's not all like singles and albums. Like there are some moments that are kind of like longer reaching after you said that. Because I was like, maybe we'll just do flat albums. But I'm glad you kind of said to kind of stretch the parameters. Because I think it gave us a bit more scope.
2: And for anyone tuning into the show for the very first time, the way that we do it is a top five. I have five things. Vanilla has five things. I don't know what she's chosen. She doesn't know what I've chosen. We'll find out in studio together in perfect harmony. Mm. Uh, So yeah, if you like the show, you know, the usual thing, everyone, tell a friend five-star reviews online, always good as well. And it's uh, patreon.com slash noencore if you want to support this independent podcast and keep it alive, you know. Every little helps, as they say. And with that, let's move into the news section, which begins like this.
4: Start spreading the news.
2: Okay, so Frank Sinatra, long dead, of course. Uh, You know, what a crooner he was. Uh, I'd like to start the show by actually paying tribute to a recently departed member of the music community, uh, Francis Monkman, who was a UK musician, uh, who basically, I want to just kind of make this real quick. Uh, I learned that he passed away this, this month, and I was like, oh, that sucked, because he provided, right, one of the greatest movie theme tunes I've ever heard in my entire life. There's a film called The Long Good Friday, It's a gangster film with Bob Hoskins, Helen Mirren and a young Pierce Brosnan making his debut in in the movies as an IRA hitman. So, you know, he's gone on to better things, of course. But The Long Good Friday is an absolute classic. It's one of the best films I've ever seen. Revisited it recently. But the fucking intro music and the kind of end credits music, which is the same motif, it's just astonishing. And Francis Monkman was responsible for this. So we're going to play about 80 seconds of it right now. And I, I implore you, listener, turn this thing up all the way. Like It just it doesn't have the right to go that hard, does it? <laughs> Unbelievable for a gangster yeah. film with Bob Hoskins. So good. So rest in peace, Francis Monkman. Thank you for giving the world that music and amidst all the other music that you contributed to the world. But that is just any excuse to play that piece of music. It's so, so good. Finula, would it have done better than Ireland at the Eurovision this year is the real question. So we had a big debate last week with Hugh Carr about the Eurovision. Wild you had crashed out at that point. The Eurovision has taken place since the final. Did you watch it?
3: I did, yes. This was the first year that I was really back into it in a big way like I fell off the wagon a couple of years ago I can't remember why I just didn't watch it or whatever I didn't follow it as closely and I did this year because I was spent a lot of time with my friend Patrick Wilson McCarthy and he's very into it and he was kind of giving me the lowdown and then I ended up doing like a watch along with uh, a couple of friends in the Sugar Club and it was just like it's ludicrously entertaining like you forget and then you're in it and it's just this vortex of Color and sound and mostly joy, generally and yeah, I was I was all for it. We were shit though. We were like bad and like I. This is I, wild youth in Ireland. Yeah, and okay. I I said this on it might not have been not. I think sorry, it was on Fat Culture and we talked about it after. Like I actually really rate them. Like I don't agree with critics of them per se, and I actually think they have a couple of real gems in their catalog. And I just don't know why. The connection with the song that we sent and them, I did not get it. And I didn't actually, I hadn't heard it at all up until the semi-final. And then I heard this and I was like, oh my God, this is this is weak. like. And then you compared it to, and we were in a really tough semi-final, but you compared it to anything else, production-wise, song-wise, everything-wise, it was just, I, and again, I feel like they were kind of, and that seems to be the kind of thing for the past few years, I just kind of felt like they were being set up to fail in a lot of ways.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of been a universally negative response to the song. And yeah, we, we kind of got into the into the nitty gritty on it last week. And it's not about no one's attacking wild youth per se, apart from, you know, weird fucking transphobes. But mm. with regards to the song, it just didn't seem to be up to snuff. What well, was up to snuff, though, on what the BBC have called the most watched grand final in the competition's history on their television channel. 9.9 million viewers on average, a peak of 11 million. That's just the UK like Eurovision's big business again, was was won this year by Sweden. Adam's uh, dreaded prediction came to pass and Sweden are now level with Ireland on seven wins each, I believe it is. Right. Worthy winner, Vanilla.
3: Oh God, don't drag me into this debate. It's gone, because it's gone like so, I didn't realise like some, the Eurovision fandom are like, the same as any kind of giddy fandom about these things. Like it's gotten very divisive because of the result. Like I think... I always kind of saw Lorene winning, but then I did really like Finland's entry. I really liked Belgium. Uh, I thought those two songs were kind of more interesting. And in some ways I didn't really think it was. And I know obviously this is ironic because we sent Johnny Logan twice, but I just felt like it was too soon since Lorene did it. And Euphoria is obviously so successful. I just felt like she was kind of had this unfair advantage kind of a thing. I just thought like Cha 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 is more interesting, more fun. It was like peak your vision while still being a good song. Um, And then you see what way the the popular vote went in inverted commas or like the public vote in comparison to the juries. I can understand why people were like angry about Finland. But at the same time, Lorena is very good. That whole production was amazing. Vocally, she's very good. It is a good pop song. But I would have preferred a Finland one, personally. Okay,
2: that's fair. And thus ends No Encore's Eurovision chat for another year. (laughs) Let's talk uh, matters more international. And a headline that I've written here that Fanula said (laughs) made her sick when I sent the news running order yesterday. My headline is... Taylor Lautner marks himself safe amidst Swift's new rollout. <laughs> uh, Remember that thing people would do when they're on like, Facebook? Where they'd mark themselves safe if there was like an active shooter or a terrorist attack or something. Yeah. So Taylor Lautner, the Twilight actor, the thespian legend that he is, has said that he's going to be safe uh, because John Mayer won't be. Basically, Taylor's, Taylor Swift is gearing up to release the Taylor's version of Speak Now, And I'm really glad Fanula's here this week because I feel like you can do the backstory on this a lot better than I ever could. Why is Taylor (sighs) Lautner saying this? Why is he saying that he's praying for John Mayer and that he uh, feels safe about its release and he thinks he'll be okay? What what does all this mean?
3: Speak Now is Taylor Swift's third album pretty much entirely self-written, I think. I don't think she wrote any of the songs with anyone else. And it was kind of her, like even prior to Red, it was her first kind of... There's the first kind of dalliances with pop and stuff. But also at this time, it was kind of... It wasn't at the peak of her fame, but it was just when she was really like starting to peak in terms of like public persona celebrity and all this and was kind of starting to be like attached to more people in the public eye and that was becoming a big narrative around like who she was dating and stuff like that so there are two songs on the track list of Speak Now and there's one called Back to December which has long been rumoured to be about her relationship with Taylor Lautner they starred in a movie together can you name the movie?
2: Oh, it's one of those day ones where you get like a bunch of famous people. Gary Marshall, RIP, he usually directed them and it's like New Year's Eve or Valentine's Day. It's one of those, right? Is
3: but take a punt, which one? Valentine's Day. Yay, ding, 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 but Valentine's the, Day.
2: Um, I, I assume these films are absolutely terrible. And I, I assume Taylor Swift's in it for like 10 minutes or less. I've actually place.
3: never seen Valentine's Day, but she is definitely not in it that much from what I know. I saw New Year's Eve, but that's, Wow. Bad film. Anyway. Uh,
2: it makes sense though, sorry, to make that kind of film around the, the American holidays and all that kind of bullshit, you know, I mean, like get a bunch of celebs. It seems like an easy kind of money mill, but who knows?
3: Where's St. Patrick's Day though, you know what I mean? St. Right. Bridget's Day that's well, they're the films I'd like to well, see in Time and yeah. Leap Year I mean, well we, no not them but just like actual Irish case studies where you're just like out on a Paddy's Day and it's like p- people getting sick but they just have all these like really romantic set to really romantic music or something anyway okay. that's nice here there. I, there's no directors here to pitch to us so.
2: no um, but we do have a Swiftologist in you So yes
3: so okay so they were together they met on the set of that movie uh, and she subsequently wrote a song about their relationship called Back to December in which she wasn't actually having a go at him she was kind of Looking back, being like, I'm really sorry about whatever happened and I miss you, etc. etc. There's another song on that record that's like five or six minutes long, and it's called Dear John, which is again rumoured to be about a Mr. John Mayer, who again they reportedly had a relationship at one point when she was 19 and he was in his 30s, early mid thirties. Okay. Um and he's kind of long been enemy of the Swifties. Uh, None of this has ever been publicly confirmed, right? But it's been you add up timelines seems to be kind of the way, right? So, obviously, Taylor Lautner is kind of a lot more online now for whatever reason and the Swifties like, like him, they consider him to be one of Taylor's, like, good boyfriends. So, he's recognised this and he's kind of a bit in on the joke now. So, I think he was asked about this Speak Now re-release. Obviously, he would be because it's he's rumoured to be the subject of Back to December. And he said in this interview, you know, that, like, it's a great album, you know, looking forward to it, praying for John, referring to John Mayer because understand or when this comes out the same way that like read Taylor's version put Jake Gyllenhaal under a microscope like I don't think John Mayer is going to come out of this alive genu like genuinely because Jake Gyllenhaal is not like if you're going to talk with celebrities or whatever not a very online person I think has the ability to put like blinkers up and pretend like none of this is happening and like kind of ignore it though he did end up kind of giving half a statement about it which I was surprised about what did he say? I think he was just like, it was to Us Weekly or something, but it was, I think it was a source, but like, it was just like, oh, he's he's not interested or he's moved past it, whatever. It wasn't like damning of her, but it wasn't, it kind of gave it more attention than I thought he would have. But then I don't know, was the attention just so bad that he was like, I have to address this in some way. Um, But John Mayer is a man with a massive ego and is also like very, very, very online. Very online, right? So I feel like this... I'm surprised he hasn't kind of come out and done something about this preemptively or like said something preemptively. I know there are rumours in like the Swifties universe that he they had actually made up and he was going to play like guitar on the record and they had kind of reconciled that way. I don't think that's the case. Um, but again, knowing the way the Swiftie fandom works like I would be like, I would be highly concerned and I do not want to be him in any way, shape or form. But then also, right, look, it's a good laugh. The headline's funny, whatever. Taylor Lautner. And like, it's it, you're in a better position when Taylor likes you and you have the Swifties on site. But there's a part, like he had another TikTok up recently after this line went viral about him praying for John where he did a TikTok and he gets down on his knees and is like pretending to, to pray, right? But the sound on TikTok is Dear John, right? So then, again, the Swifties are eating this up and there's just a part of me that's just a bit like, are you, I'm like, I don't know, there's something about that that kind of, like, I think the first line was funny and I was like, lol, fair play, dead right, because none of this is ever addressed really publicly either and she never addressed anything publicly so she kind of leaves these people to be kind of chewed up and spat out in a way. I think John Mayer deserves it more than maybe some of the other exes, but whatever, that's another discussion for another day. Well, can I?
2: Can we jump into the exes for a second? Because I'm curious as who's in the good boyfriend list and who's in the bad boyfriend list? And also, how many of these relationships were actual relationships and how many of them were done for content and for publicity and all that kind of stuff? You know, I, I've got a very cynical disposition towards Taylor Swift in general.
3: I, okay, so in terms of the good boyfriends, it's probably just Taylor Lautner and... Like Joe Alwyn, in case something comes out, unless something comes out about him, rather, I should say, and maybe Joe Jonas. I think he's actually come out the other side of it, where again, he's been like really online and really like, no, no, I'm a Swifty, and he married a Swifty, and I think they're kind of grand That's now. the only
2: way out of this, guys. You gotta marry, a <laughs> you Swiftie. marry you yeah. into the fandom. Yeah. And
3: then the bad boyfriends would be John Mayer, probably public enemy number one, uh, Jake Gillenhall, uh, Tom Hiddleston. Tom Tom Hiddleston isn't kind of seen as good or bad, but kind of seen as a chaotic, bit of a law. Chaotic, neutral, chaotic. Sorry, Calvin Harris, bad boyfriend. So it'll be Calvin, uh, Calvin. Why am I forgetting their names all of a sudden? Calvin, John, Jake, Jingleheimer Schmidt, um, and probably Marie Healy when they inevitably break up. To be honest, because so, the Swifties are already not happy about that dalliance. Let me tell you.
2: So on bandwagons this week, Vanilla's podcast that is back from the dead. The episode is about Marie Healy, mm-hmm. and I listened to the whole damn thing. And I got a few things to pick you up on. Okay. First of all, I enjoyed your impression of the singing. You did some singing in my song. <laughs> it
3: was really good. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> very, I mean, it was very
2: good. Perfect.
3: I have a career in Maddie Healy impressions, if nothing else.
2: Uh, you said that the podcast you did with Adam Friedland has been scrubbed from the internet. Not entirely true.
3: Oh, because I I heard that on No encore. I thought that's what you'd say. No, they took
2: it off streaming platforms, but it's on like as an audio one. It's on YouTube. Like you can just I I threw it on there yesterday. So
3: weird. For a
2: little laugh. No, I'm kidding. Um, it's obviously not great. We've talked about it at length. Yeah, time, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Um, you said that Matty Healy doesn't look like someone who would get into a fight, and I disagree entirely. Okay. He looks. He reminds me of a friend of mine. He's got the same kind of wiry frame, and that guy was getting into fights all the fucking time for a while. Plus, I think he thinks he's untouchable. So yeah. He, I think he'd be Larry on a night out.
3: Well, I am a lover, not a fighter. So I actually, when I made that statement, I actually was in, rooted in no fact or knowledge, really. Because like, I am really against violence. So. You've never thrown a punch? No. Why did I think about that? Yeah.
2: No. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. It's not. Why
3: am I being cross-examined here all of a sudden?
2: <laughs> I'm just trying to get you back for all the shade you've been throwing my way. Later. No, no, no. I'm asking you fair questions. I thought it was a great episode. I thought you. you. I thought you contextualized the maddie healingness of everything for the audience who I presume are mostly into Taylor Swift who listen to your show. I could be wrong. Nine seventy five. You know, uh, a lot of great songs, as we know. Polarizing, I think. Polarizing for sure. But I do think they got a lot of great songs. Um, and this, yeah, like she's American is awesome.
3: Oh, You, didn't, oh, you did, I can't you
2: believe. You didn't yeah,
0: him. you didn't have to read the Halsey thing out. You oh, really sorry. Did.
2: <laughs> That's a thing I should say. So there is a moment on bandwagons this week where Fanula reads a Tumblr post that Halsey. Who I didn't even know had a relationship with Maddie Healy. She wrote this insane long. He's home to it again. Don't read it no, again. I don't have. It. I don't have it. But like,
3: <laughs> you need to hear it all, though. You do, like, because you think it's bad, and then it just gets worse and worse. She was down bad for that man. Like, imagine the fear then after you break up, where it's like, never mind, lol. But all right, your hundreds of thousands going into millions of fans have seen it, so it's I, like, all right.
2: I couldn't get over this. I was listening to bandwagons. I was in the gym, right, on Tuesday. I'm looking at my message here now that I sent to Fanilla at 11.28 a.m. And I said, never wanted anything to end more in my life than the text of this fucking Halsey Tumblr post. (laughs) It is disturbing. (laughs) Painful. Truly. Disturbing. But we're getting off point. I guess the point I'm trying to make is where do you stand on the whole swiftness of this and the Mattie Healy Union and all this kind of jazz? It just feels, I find it very exhausting. But Swift fans seem to fucking live for this shit.
3: I They're kind of split on him, though. Like, I think she is just... She's so fascinating, but so frustrating in so many ways in the kind of God-like worship of her and the way she's followed and how everything is scrutinised. But I also, like, I feed into that, so I'm probably partially guilty as well. But um, Swifties are very split on him. If I was to have my cynical media thinking cap on, like... They're like it's it's maybe PR from her perspective and not from his, which is what I said in the bandwagons episode. I think I think she is, you know, I don't know, trying to take the heat off Joe, maybe trying to reinvent herself ahead of these new I don't know, it re-records and stuff. It's, but they've worked together before as well. Like he, They had worked on stuff for Midnight that never ended up making the final track list or whatever. Uh, so then it's like, is it just that? And we're all like falling for it. And it's worse that we're talking about it now. Maybe it's nothing, but yeah. I don't know.
2: In wrapping up, what is the best Taylor Swift album? <sighs> <sighs> morning, Ninth- morning, oh, morning, okay, it's 1989. Yeah, yeah. Of course it's
3: 1989. <laughs> <laughs>
2: What's the best 1975 album?
3: Uh, a brief inquiry into online relationships. Okay. Wrong.
0: Well, what is it? <laughs> it's. Uh, I like it when, you, like sleep. It when you sleep. For you, it's no, so beautiful and you yeah, so unaware of it. Of it. it Incredible record.
3: It built the foundation, but a brief inquiry is torture. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that.
2: I think the fourth one's quite weak. Anyway, the fifth one, the most recent one.
3: I I didn't listen to it because it came out during the pandemic and I went back to a recently you, and I was a- like, this Adam, is good.
0: Can you name them all? Can I name them all? Yeah. Uh, the first one's the 1975. Correct. Second one is the one that I just said, I can't yeah. bring myself to say it again. Third, a brief inquiry into online relationships. Fourth, notes on a conditional form. Yeah. Fifth one, I don't know because I was so indifferent towards the singles that I... Didn't even listen to the
2: We're full record. On the podcast and quite liked it, but I forgot the name until you said it on Bandwagons this week. What's it called?
3: Being funny in a foreign language. That's
2: being chat. funny in a foreign language, but not being funny in, I mean, is it a foreign language? I don't think so. They're from Scotland, everybody. It's The View. Remember The View? Remember them? <laughs> who remembers The View?
5: It's a landfill indie era.
2: Oh, yeah. Song. Yeah. That but is. But
3: now they don't have any other songs as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's a but- shame that
2: they weren't left in fucking landfill indie because, like, they are a trash band who were one of the worst things to happen out of that era without question.
3: Do you remember the song the front man did with Mark Ronson's, like, when he was trying to be doing... Do you know he did, he did like, a weird... He had a weird thing in the middle, like, before... Can you name the front man? Oh, it's no. What's his name? Kyle Falconer. Kyle Falconer. But he'd, okay. So he okay. It was a brand I think, of golf club. But sorry, I, one. Uh, Mark Ronson. It was like Mark Ronson in the international or something. And he did a song with your man from. Oh, you know he. Oh, the, I'm going to be killed for this. But the the song is called Bang Bang, and it's. He's a rapper. Uh he, he's What uh, the Only
2: bang bang I know is by Kanon featuring Adam Levine of Maroon 5 which by the way is an absolute fucking belter.
0: Sorry, Jesse J, Ariana Grande. Bang bang to Come the on. room. The, we, to the bang bang. The
2: boardroom executive song to in a bid to make Jesse J happen in America.
3: Yeah. yeah. I Sorry, that Mark Ronson the Business International MDR. Mhm. Who Keep. Well, can you please explain this view story and then I I need to so find view, this so the the reason what, why is
2: anyone talking about a terrible band from 2007 that had one of the worst songs of all time which is called Same Genes well, like seriously like just I, I, it, the Fratellis is bad enough like you know it's like this is worse I think somehow complete trash they should have been fucking they should have been executed I mean like just so bad so bad awful crimes against music sorry do you have the rapper it's cuter <laughs> That was, that was definitely. <laughs> I'm
3: sorry. It was like on the. It was on the Q tip of my tongue. Hey. It was Q tip and m and and But they had a second single. Uh, Mark Ronson, the Business International, and it was called. It was something about riding your bike. It was like going to ride my bike. I think it's, it's get the home. bike song or something. Yeah, the it? bike song. Yeah, yeah. And he's the singer. Anyway, yeah. sorry. No I it's read the tangent.
2: It's all no, no. It's it's all contextual. Um, The View got back together. I didn't even know they were still going, and they played a show last week. Like we just missed this. Like it happened last week. The podcast came out. Then people started sending me this clip, including you. You you sent me this yeah. clip as well. They were playing a show uh, in Manchester, and during the show, uh, one Carl Falconer apparently bet the shit out of Kieran Webster of the band on stage that's the video that's done the rounds uh, they cancelled their shows afterwards um, one fan said you know they didn't even play Same Jeans
5: <laughs> so there you go you know
0: oh fucking hell devastating one assumes that was a lot was, to unpack there isn't it
2: one assumes that was their, their last song of the set I mean it's one that I'm torn here because like I know I said they should be executed obviously I was kidding um, They, sh- you know they shouldn't be um, but it's they should have had to they they should have done like ten years in prison or something just for like for, um I you for know a small punishment. I'm hesitant. Yeah, manual labor or something. I mean, like you know, I I'm I'm uh hesitant to go in too hard on this one because obviously everyone's like lols there's clearly some shit going on. Like, Mm. you know, like we don't know, we don't know what's going on in someone's head. It could be just ego or there could be some mental health stuff at play here and that is important because like, there was even a story recently about that band Crazy Town. Remember Crazy Town? Oh yeah, yeah, Butterfly. And
3: and they got into a beat, they were in a fight at a a festival gig they were doing or something, wasn't it? Played a
2: festival and then apparently afterwards one of the front men bet the shit out of the other guy and it's like, you know, again, you're like, we don't know what, led to this and like you know mm. while it can be a little bit like lols there could very well be like genuine issues at the back of this I mean like I said in my cynical jaded way on Twitter I said the real story here is that anybody is paying money to see The View in 2023 I don't I just don't understand it
3: True though who for what but like? there
2: are some acts that have sur- like the, the kooks are back and they're like constantly up on festival bills I think they're on picnic am I wrong
0: I pretty, I'm pretty sure I saw them four times last summer
2: you went to see them four times. I also.
0: didn't, uh, not willingly. Mm, okay,
3: <laughs> they <laughs> okay.
0: Were just, they were just there, Dave. Jesus.
5: They were but, just Okay, there. but
3: there's an argument there that's like they have a back catalogue. You know what I mean? They have more than one. And I'm, the I Coups. know I'm being pedantic. The View have more than one song, but in terms of like actual, anyway, mainstream success. Yeah.
0: Okay, but, uh, I don't know. I mean, like, like,
2: they have
3: two albums where it's like there's
0: not the worst of the bunch.
3: Yeah, everyone would know like a handful of tracks off each. Sorry, who are we talking about? Record the, the, the Cooks
0: I thought I read The View still.
2: Can
3: no, you, so not The View. Can you name me five
2: kook
0: songs?
3: I know, she knows, I'm not fond of asking. I'm
0: oh naive, I'll give you hands You're so,
3: <laughs> yeah. so Uh Shine On, uh, Always Where I Need To Be. Uh, what about the one, does the one he wrote, wrote with Lily Allen count? No. No. The little things that take me there.
0: <laughs> seaside know. is another one. You want
3: to go to the seaside? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Conk? Four. No, that was the album name. Yeah,
0: yeah. So
2: naive. I
3: said a handful. A handful is four to five. The
2: best thing the Kooks ever did was that Pop World interview with Simon Amso where he just destroyed them. That was the best thing they ever did. They're oh a horrendous God, band.
3: I, I miss Pop World every day. It's
2: pretty great. Like, who are your bands of that era? Do you have any bands of that era? Like, you know... I bought the Feelings album when it came out I was about to say were you like five or something The Feeling yeah oh, my god
3: come fill my little this is just me doing impressions the this podcast only, oh Sorry. that's them
2: is it yeah yeah the only other feeling English song English Old City yeah <laughs> that <laughs> is much. a pretty spot on uh, um, oh
3: moves in her own <laughs> way do we name that for the Kook song that brings us up yeah. to five okay go. grand it's, anyway it's carry song. on
2: the Kooks win this round <laughs> <laughs> the feeling song I know is um, I
3: love it when you call I love I it when you call I love it when you call but you never call it. Ah remember me and I saw them Fire. At, I saw Pretty
2: them at chill. Oxygen as in they were playing at Oxygen and I happened past them while they That's were what
0: stage. I did with the Kooks last summer yeah, four yeah, times. Yeah yeah yeah,
2: at, yeah, at yeah. Can't have a festival without the Kooks, mate, you know. Mm. Um what a keen like them?
0: Yes.
3: I was a bit indifferent to them. I like that, the album great that songs. is Spiraling. Spiraling
2: is a great song. Yeah. Somewhere yeah. Only We Know is an all-timer. Yeah. And, and I also like Is It Any Wonder. And I, and, and I can
3: Is It Any Wonder. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and I can't, you know, like, like there is that uh, that lyric that I find hilarious in Is It Any Wonder, which I always, any chance I get on the podcast to do this. What? Um, when he goes, 'Cause love is just a lyric in a children's
3: rhyme. It's like, what the fuck does
2: that mean? What does that mean, Tom? Anyway, um, we'll wrap up the news section by, are you excited for this new television show that features The weekend?
3: I was until all the horrible reports came out about it. And now I'm just so lethargic to it. I think it's going to look like the glossiest, most gorgeous thing on screen in the same way as Euphoria, but I I can't...
2: Well, it's got your man, Sam Levinson. Yeah, I haven't seen Euphoria, so I assume you have.
3: I don't think you'd like Euphoria, I'm going to be honest. Am I too old? No, season one is good and then season two I enjoyed at the time and it's one of those things where you kind of sit back and you're like, wait a minute, that didn't really make sense. I did
2: see somebody say like, you know, Euphoria, you know, that show for perverts that everybody watches (laughs) because it does appear to have that kind of, you know...
0: It's like a it, it, feeling to, to it. To me, it's like Skins, but like amped up and Americanized. Sure. Yeah,
3: <laughs> there's some of it where it's just like, okay, it's like sex and nudity for the absolute sake of it, and it's just like right, like how how many tits can we get on a screen? Yeah, and I can like find like my bums. own
2: porn, Sam. You know, so Sam Levinson is the uh, the Nepo Baby director of. Uh, the Idol, which is the new weekend show, and yeah, there's been tons and tons of controversy about this. People have spoken out about the original director was fired, Amy Metz, and they have you know, they already spent like insane amount of money, and now they're just doing it again from scratch. The rumors are they want more TNA on it. Essentially, the weekend allegedly said it was too female focused. The main character is played by Lily Rose Depp, uh, but the latest the, the the it's coming out in June. Like it is happening. And there is kind of some hype happening at the moment. So that's,
0: Sorry to cut across. That's an enormous red flag from the weekend there, saying it's too female-focused. Well, weekend. he's denying that he said that. But he would deny that,
3: wouldn't but he? But I think even, like, there was this weird kind of, when these initial reports came out from Rolling Stones, like, outlining the controversy, he did a weird video with... Lily, Lily Rose Deck, right? who plays like Jocelyn, the lead pop star in this series, and he's been, they're being into, they're being pitched to do Rolling Stone as their characters, and it was just like so beyond fucking cringy where they're just like mm, Rolling Stone isn't that like so I'm paraphrasing. Well, but like, he's
2: responded to this this week. Okay, so yeah, like they basically were like like no one cares about Rolling Stone or whatever. So like the weekend has basically said that um, he wanted to meet a quote ridiculous report with a quote ridiculous response. So it was you know. You know, brought down to the, the level or something. I don't know. But, but
3: like, okay. I mean, do you like the weekend? I do, and this is all. This has put a really sour taste in my mouth towards him. Where it's just like, again, I, is it ego? Is it money? Is it? It's definitely both want, of those things. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. But is it this want to be seen as something else other than just this? This I don't. I. I. I really don't know when I. It think. definitely is
2: because he said that he's going to retire the weekend persona after the next album. So Sam Levinson has done an interview and he said that. Um, when he first, Abel Tezbe, who was the weekend, first pitched the show to him, he said Abel came to us uh, with, an, with a pitch. He said something that I'll always remember, quote, if I wanted to start a cult, I could. What he meant is that his fans are so loyal and devoted that they would follow him anywhere. That was the germ of the idea for the idol. What happens when a pop star falls to the wrong guy and nobody speaks up? It's not the worst idea for a show I've ever heard.
3: It's not the worst idea, but I think the original idea was still... Better and like I think there were there was probably going to be a storyline about people falling in with the wrong crowd or whatever but it was going to be the focus on the female pop star and how the machine can kind of chew them up and spit them out like a la Britney and kind of put a magnifying glass on that again that's like way more interesting than she gets with this fella and he just all he wants to do is have like gratuitous like oh, like potentially bordering on violent sex with her you know what I mean that's all I'm going to watch it I'm going in with an open mind but I'm I don't people are falling over this and I just it, I don't think it's going to be good and I think when especially when you're going into a project that's been pretty much restarted from scratch like that never bodes well
2: Yeah, I mean, the hype hype machine around it will suggest that people will watch it because everyone wants to know exactly what it looks like, as you say. But again, you know, it has the horse belted in terms of the amount of money spent. Speaking of his own music, The Weeknd said, it's adult music, it's not for the faint of heart, it's orated. I'm not responsible for someone who feels about my music. And he said, there's things in the description that Rolling Stone wrote that have nothing to do with my persona. Uh, Lily Rose Depp has said that I think it's interesting that people have so much to say about the show, they haven't even seen it, which is fair. I don't think it's going to be great, but I'm definitely intrigued enough to see it. You but know?
3: I just think, I, I think it's mad as well that there's no acknowledgement of the reports of the abuses on set as well, though, you know what I mean? And like the bad behaviour. It's all there. being denied. It's it, all but, being... Every, yeah, but everything's all, it, wait till you watch the show, but it's not just that, it was like the working conditions, you know yeah. what I mean? Like it's... All being, it's, it's the all tip of the iceberg for this, I feel like.
2: It's all been completely denied by everyone. Like, they're hardly going to cop to it, but, you know, it, like Amy Simets, who was the director who was fired the weekend, said, I loved working with her. She was great. Um, I, I assume she signed some kind of non-disclosure. Who the fuck knows? Probably, you know, like, yeah. But I'm sure time will tell, as, as they will.
5: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze,
2: So will The Idol, the new weekend show, will it be a hit or will it be a flop? That's the question we ask as we move into the top five this week, everybody. Time for top five music-related flops. Uh, Pretty much gave the definition at the start. Fanula, anything to add before you go first, please?
3: I just uh, really... (laughs) I I don't know how you're going to find my picks, but I stand by them 100%.
0: As an impartial entity, I can tell you I've seen both sides, as I do every week. I think this is going to be a good one. I think there's going to be some great conversations. I think we're going to have some laughs. (laughs) Maybe some tears. Yeah, There's a bit
3: of
2: needle,
0: a bit of tension here for for some reason. I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be a really good one. I think
3: I'm, if if nothing else, I will open your mind to maybe some artists that you hadn't considered critically before. Well, that's what I want.
2: You know, I'm here to be I know that's all you ever want, so. Look, anyone who knows me knows that I'm fair and balanced and I approach everything with an open mind and I have no cynicism whatsoever
0: first two maybe
2: (laughs) (laughs) okay if you you could please give us your number five and if you will recall of course like some mystery before we hear the audio so I don't yes
3: absolutely so my number five uh, has gone through like a significant kind of flop era and only really got out of it I would say kind of mm, 2018 maybe at the release of their last album but their Flop era was so significant that they earned a nickname that actually incorporated the word Flop. Christina Aguilera with uh, Your Body. What a tune. That's a banger. What a just pop maximalism at its finest. And not a flop at all. But as I mentioned, Christina Aguilera has just been kind of on the struggle bus post- I would say ever since Back to Basics. I don't know if you remember that album. Uh I think it was her was it her th- third or fourth? Was it was two thousand six. Hey no, the man can stand up next to you. Critically pretty acclaimed Candyman Very Did commercially quite well. Um and then she just kind of fell off in a big way. And I suppose it started from Bionic, which was her sixth album, which kind of would have been I suppose maybe when you think flops, it's an example that people give to me a lot. But I just love your body, so I wanted to include what do you that. As well? The artwork
2: for that uh, album, where half her face is like a robot.
3: Yes, yeah. Um, twenty ten album. It just like didn't really go anywhere. Very received very mixedly by critics. Uh, I think she kind of really saw it as like uh you know, again, she's like shifting genres, it's a big focus on electropop, but she's also competing at that time, bear in mind, this is 2010, it kind of feels like it was older than that, but it was 2010, like she's competing with the likes of Lady Gaga already at this point, she's the hot new thing, like people just were not receptive to it. Do you remember any of the singles off it?
2: No, not at all,
0: no.
3: Uh, not myself?
2: Kind Yeah, not really. Like it,
0: it
3: just- Sex for Breakfast, Bionic, the title track? Sex for breakfast?
0: you can't yeah. skimp over that that quickly. You just can't. You
2: definitely can. Sex, sex for
3: breakfast? No, anyone? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: no, I mean, like,
2: the, like, like, kind of. I obviously, you know, was growing up uh, when Britney Spears and Aguilera were like, you know, neck and neck, and it was all very exciting in the pop world, et cetera. And she was kind of dominating the headlines and the front pages for a very long time. And yeah, it did feel like she just kind of whoop for no real reason, I guess. It felt
3: like every album was an opportunity for her to start again. So like with Bionics so that was named the the fifth worst album of 2010 by Entertainment Weekly. She followed that up with Lotus which is actually the album that Your Body is from. And again I remember this being released and I remember hearing it and being like this is going to be the biggest song in the world. Like it's Max (laughs) Martin it's a great tune. The, the music video is very like body posit- positive because at this point she was under a lot of scrutiny for how she looked and having put on weight and stuff which was just a gross narrative but in the video she's like oh, it's so much colour and she's loving life and she's like killing men after she rides them like it's great. I was just awesome like "I just, stuff. Yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> really awesome stuff. Going for all the family. I, just couldn't so this was 2012 I just couldn't believe because again this got like positive reviews but the album just kind of and the song really didn't really go anywhere and it actually even did worse than Bionic again you know one of those artists where you're just like kind of waiting for them to get their, like, zeitgeist moment again. Like, I feel like we had it with Gaga and, like, I'm still waiting for it with Katy Perry. Like, I'm waiting for a teenage dream again, you know. I feel like we consistently have this with Christina up even until 2018. I mentioned Liberation, her most recent album. Now, that did commercially a little bit better. And critically, I think it was a little bit more warmly received. I didn't love it. Um, she's having a lot more success in kind of the Spanish language category. Did she do a Spanish category. language album? Yes, yeah. mo- most recently, yeah. I cannot remember the name of it. But, and she did very early on in her career. I think it was her second album was a Spanish language album as well.
2: Um, I'm still coming back to the the killing men thing. I feel very threatened. It's kind of like, you know, sex for breakfast, murder for lunch.
3: Well, (laughs) um, also I should say, (laughs) this is the clean version of your body. There is an explicit version of Love Your Body where the course is slightly different. This
2: is the clean version of your body. (laughs) Um, I will say I'm surprised this wasn't bigger than it was. And it's also, it's very gaga-rific, isn't it?
3: It Yeah, but then I'm just wondering, was it just... Was the market too crowded? Like there's a part, I hear this and I don't, I don't think it's aged badly. But again, that might just be my, me being enamored with it. But it is also very like 2010s in a way that like, I don't know how, if it came out today, I still don't think it would translate either. You know what I mean? Sure. If it didn't kick off then, I like I don't know, you know, it was never going to kick off. And I suppose why I picked it was like, if this song wasn't her comeback song, even if Lotus like wasn't great, the fact that this didn't kind of buoy it to be the comeback, it kind of says everything. But I also I just don't understand what people were doing. Like just well, stream your body for clear skin.
2: What's your What's your stance on her in general? Because I feel like you know, I felt like she had her kind of mainstream peak or just kind of household name peak around the Extina uh, era, where she was just unavoidable. She was fucking everywhere. And then she's just kind of like plateaued a little bit. And I just wonder what her personality is these days. Has she ever been a judge on a show? Probably has She
3: was, actually, yeah. So around the time of Lotus, she was a judge on uh, the Voice UX because also in between this, she did her few little singles with Maroon Five, moves like Jagger, which again brought song her
2: Fucking Rules, yeah. by the way. <laughs> I'm, 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 like, a certified bop. I'm not gonna not have a flop. Anyone come against that track? That track fucking rules. Can okay?
3: you name the song she did with Pitbull? Uh, that samples a famous nineties tune, I think. 80s nineties.
2: Like, see, Pitbull to me, like you know how like there's movies that don't exist?
3: Okay, Pitbull doesn't exist so for There's you. music
2: that doesn't exist, and Pitbull doesn't exist to me. Okay. I know Pitbull is a meme.
0: Dave, he's Mr. Worldwide.
2: That's the thing, he's a meme. He's
3: worldwide. Um, None of it exists to you.
2: No, I, I I've never sat down and consciously listened to a Pitbull song. It's okay. just it's kinda of happened around me.
3: Yeah, okay. And,
2: and will. And we'll continue to. What yeah. is the song?
3: So it's called Feel This Moment and it samples uh, Take On Me. Because of course it does. Oh, right. One uh, day when my castle's calling. I won't give the rest of it, but it's, have, it's not that good. Does, but.
2: Do, do, does he have an original idea in his head or is it always just...
3: No, I wouldn't say so, no.
2: pastiche kind of stuff.
3: No, just, yeah. Uh, Strange
2: Man, I presume. He did the musical score for the gangster film Gotti, starring John Travolta. Did he? Yes. And does was, he
3: know how to score?
2: That was a flop. I, I'm sure he does in some respects, but uh, okay. with, anyway, look, <laughs> well, um, he's Mister Worldwide. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, that's Christina Aguilera. Uh, you know, long live number five for me uh, in the flops. Uh, Fanilla's already guessed what I've picked here, but it had to, it had to be here. It had to be here. I went, by, I just, I wondered if I should do it if it's done to death, but I think it, like it, this is a fucking like this is an astonishing story. So let's let's let. Let's let everyone's favourite Irishman tell us what happened.
4: The songs are like, people say they're like your kids, but that's not true. They're actually more like your parents. They tell you what to do, they tell you how to behave. These songs, we worked quite hard on them over the years and we really didn't want, they really didn't want them to be ignored. <laughs> what do we really want for these songs? We want to get them to as many people as we can. Could we talk somebody into helping us with that. We went to Apple and we said, look, we're not interested in free music. We're, we think music is, you know, undervalued. It's a sacrament as far as we're concerned. And we said, would you be interested in buying our, uh, our album and then get it to all you know 500 million of your iTunes uh, accounts? And uh, Tim Cook is an unflappable man. It might have flapped a little bit, uh, but not for long. Every iTunes customer gets this album, this incredible album, for free. It, it happened in an instant. It wasn't like armies of people with trucks full of boxes of albums. It was one guy in an office, somewhere in was just going, we're we ready, okay, boom, and that was it.
3: I actually thought you'd pick something else. I thought you picked the U2 Spider-Man musical. That's what I was starting to say. Oh. But this is much more obvious.
2: Do you know the name of the U2 Spider-Man musical? Turn
3: off the dark.
2: Turn off the dark.
3: Yes. Yes. Oh, I love But this is we, we'll come back and talk about that yeah, another this point. This
2: is the before. more notorious one. So you know how in Terminator 2 Judgment Day, uh, there's the moment where like Skynet, you know, uploads, it's whatever the fuck and the world ends. That happened in the music industry on the 9th of September 2014 when U2's 13th studio album Songs of Innocence was given away to every single person with an iTunes account for free. What could possibly go wrong? People didn't want it. That's what could go wrong. <laughs> um, it's just like, I remember I was working in Hot Press at the time. And of course, Hot Press is basically sponsored by YouTube. I mean, I don't know if that's an actual thing, but that's the rumor. But like, nonetheless, they get a lot of good press mm. by the nation's most fortnightly music magazine. And uh, I, I can't even remember what nonsense was being spun there at the time, but I'm sure it was all like, you know, this is genius. Um, after the relatively lukewarm commercial performance of No Line on the Horizon, which came out in 2009 Bono had expressed uncertainty about the band's ability to remain musically relevant. And so he sold his soul to to Tim Cook and the Apple Corporation, Cupertino... And, and the rest is history. Uh, do you remember getting that album for yes. free? Yes,
3: yeah. I remember. Ha- I think I'd gotten either a phone or an iPod at the time and I remember just being quite aggravated that I couldn't get it off my phone. That was the phone, thing. They which had to, seems to be, even the general consensus now, you'll still see people being like, I still don't know how to get the fucking thing <laughs> off my phone. They had
2: to invent a tool to get rid of it. Um, <laughs> like a- Apple had to like, and the tech imagine like working customer support that weekend. But like, it's a strange one. I mean, like, like, like it's in a typical U2 fashion. I mean, like, you know, The Edge called it, quote, incredibly subversive. It's really punk rock. It's really disruptive. It certainly was disruptive. Mm. But people really rejected this. I mean, it was marketed as the largest album release of all time because it was available, made available for free to more than 500 million iTunes customers in 119 uh, countries. Bono rejected the notion that you two gave it away at no cost, saying, we were paid. I don't believe in free music. Music is a sacrament.
3: But how much did they get paid then?
2: Um, a lump sum uh, for a five week ex- exclu- exclusive uh, exclusivity window, um, like
3: millions you'd imagine. Oh like. yeah,
2: like like there's rumors. Uh, Tens bill, millions. Billboard that uh, that Music Bible said that they paid Apple could have paid either fifty two million dollars to Universal Music Group for exclusive rights to the album based on the quantity of downloads or an upfront fee of about five million, excluding royalties. In addition, Apple agreed to a marketing campaign for the album, reportedly worth around a hundred million dollars. Uh, which was kind of partnered up with their lead single, which was The Miracle, open brackets, of Joey Ramone, close brackets, you heard it there in the thing. Um, the reaction, though, was was fucking intense. I remember this vividly. People got extremely mad, mm. which I wonder, like, was it an overreaction? You're getting a free album. Is it that big of a deal? You know?
3: <sighs> i th- I think, yeah, in some respects. I think it was maybe a little bit too over the line but then in some respects it's just like okay you want to be disruptive like surprise drop the album you know what I mean was this not around either just before or just after Beyonce dropped the Beyonce self-titled like if you wanted to you could like that's punk rock like that's you consider what she did with that release no promo no like no day lead in it was just there it was on iTunes that's how you do it I suppose it's it's harder when you have people who have devices and it's like It feels invasive in a way, I suppose. Now, having said that, as much as it irritated me, there was no way I was ringing up a poor customer service agent who had nothing to do with it and who was just there trying to fucking work a solid nine to five or whatever and I wasn't going to berate them to get the thing off my phone.
2: Get this photograph of half-naked Larry Mullen Jr hugging his half-naked son (laughs) off my phone immediately. (laughs) But,
3: But it's also just like... I don't know a single thing about that album beyond the narrative good. around this. But yeah, but I don't know that because it's just, this has consumed it. And I'm just like, is that not so embarrassing for them? Yeah,
2: it's fine. I think Every Breaking Wave is on it, which is a good song. Um,
3: yeah, that's, yeah. But other, couldn't tell you anything else. There's a very nice, else?
2: very nice acoustic performance of that on Jules Holm that they did. According to Apple, 33 million people accessed the album in its first week of release, either through downloads or streaming. Within its first month, 81 million users had listened to it and 26 million had downloaded the entire record. Uh, lots of musicians came out and said that you're devaluing music. You're t- telling people that music is free and it's quote disturbing. Um, a guitarist from the band Book Cherry said it's easy to do that when you're a multi millionaire billionaire and money isn't really something you worry about. But when you're a working rock and roll band, you count on every dollar. It's disappointing to see uh, people do this. So there was yeah, there was all kinds of fallout for it really. And in the end, Bono kind of you know did a very Bono apology. But we can hear it being discussed uh, in a in a, you know in a bit of a in a bit of a knowing way on Graham Norton, let's have a listen to that. Uh, who
4: talked to who? Did you go to iTunes, did iTunes come to you? Mm, we, look, we worked very hard on these songs and really believed in them. We were scared they wouldn't, you know, people wouldn't hear them or, you know, it's, 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 it's tricky these days, you know, to be heard. we've been around a while. Why would anyone want another U2 album? We kind of asked ourselves that question. Oh. And uh, no, 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 poor U2. <laughs> <laughs> who has worse luck than U2? <laughs> Just, there is, at the back of any performer... It's a heartbreaking story, by the way. <laughs> the unforgettable fire. Uh, it's just, look, it's, if anyone, you know, wanted to call time on us, we've been around a while and we just wanted to do something fresh, something that no-one else had done, and, you know, it turns out, some people don't believe in Father Christmas. When <laughs> they see Father Christmas in their lounge on Christmas morning, they just want to give
5: Father Christmas <laughs> a good kicking. A good, <laughs> good kicking. <laughs> I think you didn't care either way, did you? Uh,
0: um, No, I I cared in as much as I knew that if we put it out the normal way. um, You know, records don't stay around the way they used to a a few years ago. And these songs, I think, are, are like... the. They're some of the best songs we've ever written, and to get them out this way digitally, it wasn't exactly a revolution, but we thought if we went to Apple, we would at least get paid and Apple would give them free to their customers, which we thought was a good idea.
4: I mean, there's a lot of people who were... You know, uninterested in you two, who are now, you know, mad at you two. Which, as far as we're concerned, is an improvement. <laughs> the
0: and I just say, uh, in the last like couple of years, even in like the book *Surrender*, Bono's uh, Bono's memoir, um, he's so knowing and so like self-deprecating about like. Uh, how he is and how you two are and it's like really refreshing i think
2: well i will say in that book he does say i take full responsibility i thought if we could just put our music within reach of people they might choose to reach out towards it not quite he also said in rolling stone a few years ago quote it's like we put a bottle of milk in people's fridge that they weren't asking for it's a gross invasion but it was kind of an accident the milk was supposed to be in the cloud it was supposed to be on the front doorstep so there you go. Make mm-hmm. make it that way you well, will. Uh, you know, as someone who pre- you know presides over flops on the regular, on your podcast, Flop Culture, is this a flop? Do you think you two have recovered?
3: Are you two just a flop or this oh, no, moment this specific in time? Stones. No, this was yeah. like 100% like flop behaviour. And I there's a part of me that wonders if it was a different band would they've gotten away with it or a different artist. And a part of me thinks kind of, yeah, maybe. But I just also think it's like, not not you two cribbing poor mouths being like well we, we needed to get paid in some way so it was like this was the most commercially viable op- option and I'm not saying don't view music as a business because it is a business for some people but it's just like shut up like in some you know shut up
2: that's fair alright can I have your number four please
3: how do I transition into this Um, okay I am feeling pretty odd right now I'd say
1: your eyes the sides of the moon Cancer, so you do we're feeling so good just the way that we do when it's not in the afternoon your eyes are the size of the moon you could get as you can so you do we're feeling so good back to the street down to our feet losing the feeling of feeling unique do you know
3: Oh my God, picture the scene, it's 2005, emo is king, these lads from Nevada, Panic of the Disco have come out of nowhere, got an insane uh, commercial success with this album called
2: Oh, I can give you the single, I Write Sins Not Tragedies, I don't know if I can tell you the album title, because they they're, I, I never got into
0: them
3: Did you not? Nah, I thought they
0: were shite <gasps>
3: Oh, that upsets me. Not
0: real enough for Dave. I these
3: think. these first at two the albums. Time, I write Sins
2: Not Tragedies was kind of unavoidable and it was fun to a degree but kind of crap. They're like the really, really bad Fall Out Boy signed by Pete Wentz, I believe.
3: Yes, Declan's What's the album records. called? A Fever You Can't Sweat Out.
2: Fuck, I knew that. Yeah. Okay, and this is off the second album? Is this there... is
3: the second album, Pretty Odd, and the song is Nine in the Afternoon.
2: Are you picking the album or the song?
3: I'm picking the album, Pretty Odd. So this is the second album, as I said, and for this album they actually dropped the the exclamation mark so it's just Panic the Disco not Panic at the Disco Just yeah. You ever it's, it's see that like quiz question
2: that. that does the rounds where it's like which of these is a the band name and it's something like you know Chaos at the restaurant <laughs> Commotion in the supermarket Panic at the Disco or whatever
3: Turmoil on the motorway Pretty much um, yeah yeah So 2005 they're off the back of this kind of Pretty good commercial success for the genre there and the band that they are. Critics were found the album polarizing. I so again we have two sides of the coin here. I fucking loved it. I think I was just at that point in my life and that that point in emo music, and I thought it was incredible. You hated it, that's fair. Um, so then they went off and decided to record their second album. And they kind of did it across Nevada. They did a bit in Abbey Road Studios in London. A lot of horn work there. And it's like very Baroque pop, psychedelic rock, like a. Pretty swift U-turn from uh A Fever You Can't Sweat Out. If anyone's familiar with it. Like A Fever You Can't Sweat Out is like emo inside and out, these insane drum lines, these crazy lyrics, insane song titles, like lying is the most fun a girl can have without taking her clothes off, nails for breakfast, tax tax for snacks, I think is or tax for something anyway. Um just crazy. And then they come back with this, which is very much them. Kind of cosplaying the Beatles a smally bit. It's That's a bit. That's what we
2: all wanted from uh, Panic! at the Disco.
3: Absolutely, yeah. A bit folksy, a bit, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Kind of still pop at its core. Um, they began work, actually, in Mount Charleston, in this, like, cabin in the middle of the mountains, nowhere to be seen in Nevada. Uh, they had an album done, right, for their second album. They scrapped it because they hated it. Uh, and then came back and wrote what ended up being pretty odd throughout that following winter. Um, And then, as as I said, they went to Abbey Road and they did additional horn work uh, and stuff like that. Kind of got generally positive, critical response, but it's the commercial successes where it kind of qualifies as a flop, I would say, because obviously uh, A Few of Your Counts went out went Triple Platinum, this, like, just... Kind of didn't go anywhere near uh, the success. And I think some people found it also because, like, the genre hopping, I think people found it uh, a little bit baffling in that way. Um, So the song we heard in the afternoon was actually a holdover from the initial record that they wrote. And then it ends with a song called Mad as Rabbits, which is actually the last song that they wrote uh, for that session for this album.
2: Did you buy this album on day one? Like, was this your. I
3: bought the CD, yeah. I bought the CD and I still have the CD, I'm pretty sure.
2: Are you Defender?
3: Am I a defender
2: Were you you heartbroken? Like what was your
3: About this about this album initially? I remember being like that kind of thing. I remember being like, This is so this is fucking weird. (laughs) And this isn't what I signed up for. But I actually think some of the songwriting is so bright and some of their best. And like they never quite because obviously they continued after uh, Ryan Ross left and a few of the others left. They continued with uh, Spencer Smith and I think that's his name. but And it's definitely Brandon Yori was the front man and he was kind of doing his own thing on his own for a while. But Ryan Ross was kind of the heart of that band in terms of the lyricism and stuff. There's a really nice song called uh, When the Day Met the Night. And that's just like, it's it's mad, but it's not so mad that it's you'd you'd put it on the first album like avant-garde in that way. Um but it's just like it's very sweet it's very sincere not everything hits yeah yeah but i actually think it's a strong album and i think it was interesting to see them experiment so early on and i wonder if this had been like their third or their fourth album would have been would it have been received would have been would it have been more palatable to the emo fan base who are used to like them like if you if you know their live shows from that time as well it's very like circus themed and they're all in like satin and bow ties and top hats and it's all a bit it's all a bit mad what
2: i'm wondering though so give me the year again of this coming out
3: so this came out in two thousand and eight. So this was three years after *Fever Can't Sweat Out*.
2: I'm just wondering if, like, they looked at *My Chemical Romance* and what they did in two thousand and six with *The Black Parade* and, you know, the marching band, the concept. Or and when,
0: theatrics, like.
2: Yeah, know. I wonder if they were just like, "That's a trend. Let's go flamboyant and let's just go weird, arch concept and something." And obviously, like, you know, I would imagine *Black Parade* is a far superior album to this, but time will
3: tell. Uh, Time will tell I don't. I haven't met many people Who've wanted to stop And talk about Pretty Full stop <laughs> Odd Full stop But if you do My DMs are open so I do really like this album
2: Brendan Urie of course Years later would end up On a Taylor Swift album mm. On the song Me mm-hmm.
0: Which isn't very good Fucking uh, shite Let's not mince words
2: didn't here Didn't
3: he announce recently That he's
2: retiring Panic at the Disco
3: Yeah Like I, I suppose it, it, I picked the album As the flop But you could Kind of pick Panic at the Disco and the latter years as a flop in itself, because Brendan Yori like ran that band into the ground. They had another album after this where it was just himself and that man Spencer. I think it's Spencer Smith. Correct me if that second name is wrong. They did another album called Vices and Virtues, which again I really like. I don't know if it will be winning any awards. I don't know if you'd love it, but I do really like it. He's kind of vocally at his prime, uh, but then he has this commercial success with like Taylor Swift. How do you has, feel about
2: that though? Like given our previous conversations, well, I mean, like that's...
3: me is f- the fucking worst song ever, and as someone who like. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) I did did an episode on Lover and I've talked to someone who's a much more hardcore swifty than I am. Like a lot of them don't recognise that as a song, like as canon from their mother. You know what I mean? Like they don't. he's not
2: accepted into the group.
3: No, but also he's had his fair share of like controversy himself with, uh, there's been a lot of accusations directed towards him in terms of like sexual misconduct towards the end of his career and kind of uh, racially inappropriate language I think is the most polite way to say it without fully understanding the full story but this all kind of came to light off the back of the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and he kind of, again, went underground for a while, came back out with an album recently called Viva Last Vengeance, which by all accounts was fucking terrible. <laughs> it was just him. He was the only original member left of the band.
2: Terrible title as well. And
3: yeah, terrible title. He once was a good vocalist. Not sure anyone would think he is now. I saw a couple of TikToks from the live shows. He's... From what I've heard and seen completely ruined whatever he had of his vocal cords, and I think he on uh, he did make the right call by ending the band, but I think he should have made it before I don't think there was a need for this last album i'm I'm sure there could be an argument for a couple of the albums previous as well, but yeah
2: okay well for my number four something that there definitely was no need for I mean I really really do hate to speak ill of the dead and I debated including this but I and I love this man but it qualifies exponentially so here's my number four Where to begin? What
3: the hell is that?
2: This is the late, great, the amazing Chris Cornell, who unfortunately left us in 2017. He died by suicide. He was the frontman of Soundgarden. He was an audio slave. He did that amazing James Bond theme for Daniel Craig's first one, Casino Royale. Royale, He possessed one of the greatest voices in rock music. He was an unbelievable frontman, by all accounts, a great guy. And in 2009, his third solo album, he went, you know who I'm going to hook up with? And Adam guessed it when he heard that for the first time. Timberland.
3: He's on, un- because I know Chris Cornell, he's unrecognisable amongst that production. Like it's, it that's didn't... scary. Timberland's <laughs> really
0: bastardised them there. Like it's so bad. It's like he sounds... that's the biggest mismatch I've ever heard.
3: Do you know what it sounds like? You know that Lonely Island song about being a pirate? <laughs> Who's the man that sings on that Michael Bolton? Uh, he sounds, sounds like that right, with the yeah. production.
2: Well, he has. He's got that kind of you know gravelly, rusty kind of vocal, which is. I his know, signature. but it's not
3: just. I think it's that and this. It's that mismatch, as you said.
2: I think this is like the fifth single, and it was the first one I heard, and I was like, "What the fuck is happening?" Four <laughs> singles before this. I know, up. I know. It's 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 shocking, and I mean, like it's Jesus. just there's a there's a Weezer song from 2008 in which Rivers Cuomo has a line where he says something like, "Timbaland knows the way to get to the top of the charts. Maybe if I work with him, I'll perfect the art." And then a year later, Chris Cornell did it, and it's a disaster. It's him going R and B and process beats and all that kind of stuff. And what did you say off mic there?
0: I said it was the Justin Timberlake single that didn't make uh, Future Sex Love Sense. I I feel so bad. And uh, and how?
2: Yeah, and like I say, look, listen. I mean, like this is obviously this happens many many years before Chris Cornell's untimely passing. It's not connected in any way. And you know, it's I'm not looking to to mock someone who I, I I love Chris Cornell. I I think he's so fucking missed. You know, he died shortly after Chester Bennington, and that's both of those things still. I I find them to be two extremely raw wounds uh, for music fans, myself included. Uh, But this was just a bizarre anomaly. Mm. It just felt like trend chasing, and maybe he wanted to just experiment and do something a bit different. Maybe there was some desperation to be in the charts. It just failed on every single level. And like, it's funny because like, there is Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails, who I adore, obviously. Uh, Trent Reznor, back when he was a bit more online and a bit more snarky publicly, he put out a tweet that he would later get rid of. But he put out a tweet and he said, you know that feeling you get when somebody embarrasses themselves so badly that you feel uncomfortable? Have you heard Chris Cornell's record? Jesus. Now, it should be noted in the same breath that Reznor later apologized for that wrote a handwritten apology to Chris Cornell and invited Soundgarden Garden on tour to open for Nine Inch Nails um and he and he said numerous times he's like I regret saying that I shouldn't have said it it was immature um but the album's really fucked up like I mean it's just it just there's no way around it. Like, I mean, like, Billboard said, Scream, the album's called Scream, by the way. That song is called Part of Me. I should have said that earlier. And it has that insane lyric of that bitch, you up. it's like, what are you doing?
3: Cra- crazy. What are you
2: doing? Like, it's crazy. It's an ironic. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know what he's going for. He didn't write that himself.
3: Yeah, right? it doesn't feel, oh, I don't know, There's weird. There's a
0: million and one people who could have stopped that happening. Yeah. And none of them did. And I... Uh, the idea uh, apparently. Beyond so apparently, words Apparently
2: like. Cornell wanted Timbaland to remix songs From his previous album Carry On Which came out in 2007 So he got into contact with him But The collaboration evolved into Let's just do a fucking album together How long do you think The writing uh, And recording process was?
0: For this particular song Or the album? The album Any thoughts, Vanilla?
3: The way you're saying it I kind of feel like it was short So like A week
0: I'm going I'm to say, I was going to say four days. It's six weeks. Six weeks? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, to write and record, and album, that's actually, yeah. it's still pretty, that's a we pretty whistle-stop long. tour. Like, yeah. But in fairness, like, I think you can kind of understand where we were coming from, given yeah, what you know.
2: said that he wanted to harken back to albums he listened to when he was a kid, where the music just never stops. Well, Timberland can do that, I suppose. Um,
0: but even, sorry to cut, cut across you again, it's just like, it even feels like Timberland phoned this in. I don't think he like this is something he drummed up in about forty seconds.
3: Well, Chris Gr- looked in his like miscellaneous beats folder yeah. and beats said, "Here you go." God,
0: everyone has passed file. up. Yeah. yeah, exactly.
2: He said, uh, "Chris Cornell said that um, he insisted he played an integral part in the album's creation, didn't do what Timbaland told me to do." Said we didn't really have that relationship. It wasn't the type of process. It was more he would bring in a beat, an idea, I would write to it and sing it, and we would kind of move on to the next thing.
0: And that's why it's bad because yeah. it wasn't. done, It was like it's so fucking thrown together.
2: The weird thing is like like commercially, like debuted at number ten. On the Billboard 200, and became Cornell's first top ten solo album. Then it dropped like like a fucking stone the next few weeks. Uh, like a stone, by the way. Audio slave song, very good one. Um, <laughs> it got like positive reviews from Hot Press. It says here, "Fucking hell, who, who wrote that? Did I work with that?"
5: Dave had Imagine,
2: yeah, yeah, no, no, I, that was uh, I was two years away. I was two years away from 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 my from hop-
0: joining or a, a post joining joining. Uh, this is
2: oh nine. I went to Harpers in twenty eleven, okay. and I I never left. <laughs> my soul is still in those trenches. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just it's just baffling, and it's it's. But again, it's it's so of the time. Everyone laughed at it. It was bad, and also like maybe he felt a sense of doing the bomb because the bomb theme fucking rules. Mm. By the way, that's it's the, great.
0: It's one of the best. That's season yep. six,
2: and that's like not fully out of his comfort zone, but there's a little bit more going on where it is a bit more audacious, I suppose.
0: Yeah, definitely. And like even the, um, like all the string arrangements and the horns and the orchestra, the orchestral, uh, motif of it all, yeah, that would come with Bond teams is definitely like not remember, not in that world. I remember you know,
2: sitting in the cinema and that theme coming on, and I was like, "This fucking rules!" I feel like I'm about to go somewhere new with this series. Like everything felt like fresh and cool. Yeah, it was and really it was great. Um, but this this is the opposite of that. Three years later, and yeah, I mean, look, he he, the career recovered, Soundgarden got back together. He was a beloved figure in music. He is deeply, deeply missed. Uh, his death is a fucking tragedy, and I'm still really upset about it. But you know, you got to pay the man the ultimate respect of saying that one didn't work, Chris. But I do love you, and I do miss you. What is your number three, Vanilla?
3: My number three is a solo career that I am obsessed with, and I'm just annoyed that we didn't. Kind of, it should have had the success of like one of his peers, but it didn't. And now he's gone back to his band, and it frustrates me quite a
5: lot. Hit that course
0: again, please. Oh, In hell, it was incredible.
3: Oh, oh, can I? I can I just recommend as well if anyone wants a bit more of that Nick Jonas jealous the gospel version that's on YouTube. Incredible. Can it's I just say so good.
2: when you built that intro up, I went, I know who she's picked here love his solo stuff didn't quite take off has gone back to his band well it's clearly going to be Charlie Simpson from Busted slash <laughs> White
3: that would have been a good pick now so you've gone with Nick Jonas I've gone with Nick Jonas This song's yeah. called Jealous this song is called Jealous I'm jealous um, of
2: whoever wrote that song
5: Let it's me. incredible also by
2: the way like what, what what the listeners can see is Adam and Fanula turning into some kind of weird stereo tag team of dancing singing people during that during that amazing playthrough it was beautiful I wish you guys saw this
3: it. is and I say this absolutely not hyper I would say in the top five greatest songs of all time. <laughs> like, it, I think this it, has the power to actually enact change. You put this on in a club with the right people, you get their heads together, I, we could we could do serious things. Is it as good as,
2: uh, what year is this again? 2018,
3: did you say? This is... Oh, it'd
0: be earlier, it'd be like 2014, 15
3: maybe? Oh, I think it's, yeah, 2014 was his first, was his, sorry, second, sorry... Third solo album. This is his third attempt at it. It's
2: got it's got oomph, but is it as good as Backstreet Boys Don't Go Breaking My Heart?
3: Yeah, I think so. I I think it's just emotion. Well oh don't go breaking my heart. I told I've said this on the podcast before that I saw them live and it was like akin to what I would imagine coming up on drugs is like but anyway it was actually top again top five best acts I've seen live I cannot recommend that enough go see the Backstreet Boys live but we're not talking about the Backstreet Boys we're talking about Nick Jonas one third of the Jonas Brothers Uh, Jealous is off his third solo record but he's actually had two prior to that so he had one that was just called Nicholas Jonas and he was like a child which I found very hard to find information on are you familiar with Nick Jonas and the administration
2: (laughs) sounds like his wrestling faction (laughs) like is that like what
3: (laughs) so this was a side project he did in 2009 uh, while he was still a part of Jonas Brothers and he did it alongside bassist John Fields drummer Michael Bland keyboardist Tommy Barbarella and guitarist David Ryan Harris uh, and they had all been involved with, like, Prince's band. They'd formally played together in Prince's New Power Generation from 1991 to 1996.
2: So they're actually really fucking incredible. Yeah, and they're solid. good, like. Yeah,
3: yeah. Um, so he'd basically written these songs, and he kind of, I, I don't know, did he view them as, like, a little bit more rock or something? Basically, he wanted, like, Nick Jonas' the administration to be, like, his version of Bruce, Bruce Springsteen. is a
2: terrible name. It's Do you r- want to
3: know why he named it the administration?
2: Um... Sure.
3: Because he was interested in the presidency.
2: (laughs) What is happening with this man?
3: Yeah, so basically a couple of songs written, they released an album. If you want to again hear some of the songs from that, like so literal, we've got Rose Garden, Conspiracy Theory, State of Emergency. There was a song called Oval Room or Oval Office, but that didn't make the track list because it didn't end up being good. But anyway, uh, that was a side project to the Jonas Brothers. The Jonas Brothers split up, so he releases his uh, third studio album. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's self-titled uh, and it has guest appearances from Jimmy Lovato Mike Posner gets generally favorable reviews from music critics reaches the top 10 in the United States top 20 in the United Kingdom Mexico, Canada top 40 in Australia New Zealand uh, it ended up getting re-released in 2015 under the title Nick Jonas times 2 x2 <laughs> includes 3 new tracks and 4 remixes right Um, And it has that song that we just heard, They're Jealous, which I think is, I'm really not being hyperbolic. It's like, if you were to, perfect pop song, producer Adam had his hand up. Explain why it's so good. I
0: just want to say, it's so good he put it on three albums.
3: Like, that's what I'm saying. Not just
0: the two that you mentioned, but also on Last Year Was Complicated, which is a fantastic record, by the way. Oh,
3: we're going to talk about Last Year Was Complicated, let me tell you. So Last Year Was Complicated, 2016, this is his like fourth, third, fourth, depending on how you count it, the count gets complicated. Lead single off, that was close and it was a collab with uh, Tuve Lu. Why is it called last year was complicated? Here's what he said. When I first started making it, I thought I knew what it would be about. Then I had a breakup. It then became very clear what this thing would be about and that I would need to dig really deep. Shit is too real sometimes. Reliving some of these real life experiences through this music is hard. It was actually gonna be called Unhinged, but then he had a conversation with Jay-Z, and Jay-Z was like, you know what? Maybe don't name it that. So that's when he went with Last Year was complicated. A lot of good songs on that. I love Testify. Um, the difference is very good. Bacon. Bacon Un- is very good. That's a Ty Dolla sign collab. He's
0: a cheat code. He makes every song really good. Yeah, <laughs> I've said truly. this before on the podcast. He's the he's the feature cheat code. But like, look, the chorus is awful. But it's a fucking banger. Yeah, the chorus
3: isn't cor- great. Yeah. Uh, Nolan Feeney for Entertainment Weekly said that it grows into the neon pop R&B sound of 2014's Nick Jonas while adopting a show Don't Tell Approach to Maturity on its songs. Uh, I think he collaborated with someone from Purity Ring on the album as well, which is just like, I don't know, it's... It's very, very good. Debuted at number two on the Billboard 200. Uh, decent first week sales. I'm not really sure if it went anywhere anywhere else. Then the Jonas Brothers get back together. As we all know, they have that smash hit with Sucker. That's just prior to the pandemic, I think, 2019, 2020. But he ends up working on another album himself called Spaceman, which comes out March 12, 2021. Uh, and again, has a lot of good tunes. The title track, This Is Heaven. Like very good pop records. Again, we have Robin Murray of The Clash uh, saying, uh, don't give up on us on the record, Spaceman being one of Jonas's best solo performances to date. One of his most rounded and adult statements to date. Spaceman is certainly worth exploring. As lockdown hobbies go, it's up there with banana bread as one of the most tasteful. So there you go. So,
2: hang on. Is your contention that, like, why wasn't this the biggest solo pop album ever and why has he gone crawling back to his band? Because it, like yes. it, it sounds like it was critically well received as commercially did all right. Like, it's not...
3: But I don't think he needs... The, the other the, the, the other two. And I there's a part of me that thinks, yes, it did well, but it didn't really have like the cross territory success that I think it deserved. Jealous went to number two in the United Kingdom. But I think again, depending on who you speak to, some people don't know that he had a solo career at all over this side of the world. And there's a part of me that just thinks he could have done a Justin Timberlake on it. Like in some ways, I think any one of those records could have been his future sex love sounds. And like you said, it th- Like it wasn't that it was, it's not that I just think it's good. Like the majority of critics thought the majority of these records were like pretty good.
2: Yeah, I don't really understand the Jonas Brothers to me. I mean, like, it's kind of like, you know, I get it. They're like some kind of weird Disney Channel, very American thing. Like, and now
3: they're doing Yacht Rock. Like. Yeah, I don't know. Well, pop, Yacht Rock. Like d- the stuff here in shops and I, stuff.
2: I don't fully understand it. I have to admit. But I do like that song.
3: I mean, I'm like just just try and not remember that for the rest of the entire day. Like he's just, he is a great ear for like hooks and vocally he's very strong and I think he leans into his influences. I don't think he goes too far out of his remit. I think that's what he was trying to do with this embarrassing Nick Jones and the administration thing but also I think he was still kind of a teenager so like we'll let him off but I don't know. I just, I, do, I wish he had the career that Justin Timberlake had for that stretch. Okay.
2: Um, for me for my number three and the flops um, also somebody who was in a band left did a did did something without a band and then went back to his band as well Uh, here's my number three Do you not know who that is? Paul McCartney. <laughs> is it? No,
3: it's not. Oh, it's not. okay. Uh, no, I don't. Should I know? It would on, it be really obvious when you say it.
2: An enfant terrible of uh, mid-2000s UK indie. It's Johnny Burrell oh. of Razorlight fame. And that is the lead single off Burrell 1, his debut solo album. That song
3: oh, Mike. I never knew he went solo.
2: This is the thing. That song is called Pan-European Supermodel Song. Oh,
3: for Christ's <laughs> sake.
2: Brackets, O oh, uh the album Burrell one which came out uh in 2000 and well, what the fuck was it like? I can't remember. Um I'll find the year. It might be 2014. It it's such a strange time period in my life that I kind of feel like it didn't happen. I feel it was 2013, sorry, July 2013. I didn't get it for my birthday. Um in its first week the solo album from the singer of race light, one of the UK's biggest bands ever, sold 594 copies. That's all.
3: That's got to hurt. That's That's a flop, that's a flop
2: 594 copies Um,
3: That's sick
2: His record label, which was a new label I believe Sent out a press release Celebrating that it was the 15,678th Best selling album of the year No! His own label threw him in the fucking mud
3: Oh my god
2: (laughs) Nobody wanted it It was over like, it was fucking over. They had released, Rays Like had released their third album, Slipway Fires. I mean, that, that's a pub trivia question if ever there is one. Is that the one.
3: song that has love me yes. wherever you are? It's I hate that I know about that. i on the show
2: to death, but uh, that song is called Wire to Wire. It was the lead single of...
3: Says love. Nah, style condition. She lives in
2: Disillusion road. <laughs> he performed that song on the Jonathan Ross show and Jonathan Ross cried... Because it was so emotional, mm. that's why the world has had enough. We had enough of Johnny Burrell's antics. He was like a fucking character in a Scorsese movie, where it's like we've had enough. He's got to go. And so he, <laughs> he put out his, uh, he put out that that Raisal Light album. That was the end of the band. Then he played the solo album, and people were like, "No, <laughs> no, we 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 don't.
3: We don't want this. We we,
2: we won't, Johnny. No way. Uh, yeah, a total a critical mauling, commercial failure. Um, but like, there is a weird reclamation project. I mean, he's back. raised Light are back now. You know, they're back, back, back. Um, are they? Oh yeah, they've been around for a while
0: now. They had that touring, I think, right?
2: Yes, they are touring. I've seen them a couple of times. Um, they were they played picnic there one of the last times I was there, and it was just you know embarrassing, but you know people were into it.
0: You know, they go to see the two songs that they know, or the one song that they know, or whatever.
2: I mean, I do think uh, somewhere Name else five
3: songs. I, you can,
2: I can,
0: I
3: um, can. Oh uh, Don't go
2: back to Dalston. Somewhere Else, which is a genuinely amazing song. Yeah, that's good. From a lot of different points God, of God, I
3: forgot that one. Yeah, that's a good one. Do you remember the about.
2: lyrics? The amazing, the, the greatest lyrics of all time? No.
3: I only. Know. I really, really wish I could be somewhere else. When
2: he goes, um, and I met a girl, she asked me my name. I told, I told her, oh, her what it was. <laughs> it's just great. Like, it's point. genius song. Okay, yeah, so hang on. Um, Before I Fall to Pieces, yeah. America, which is the worst song of all time. America. By any band ever. Like and like you talk about the view getting 10 years, Johnny Burrell should have got fifty years in prison for America. Right. It's fucking disgraceful. Um so the, yeah, I like somewhere else. I, there's one of the one I do like. Um what's, In the Morning? No, that's terrible. Um that that's a song for like a bank ad. Like that that song is just like for or like, yeah, it's one of the worst things of all time. What's the one I like? It's off the second album. Um I can't a, remember it, you st- don't like it that much. Oh, no, I got it, I got it. Stumble and fall. That's a good one. I don't one. know that one. Get over the breaks, and it's got that kind of like. It's good. It's actually
3: I I'll listen to it after this. It's
2: actually a good song. They're a terrible band. Um, one of the worst things to ever happened. To, thi- to the
0: world. I love how you but, like lift them up, just tear them right you back can't down say again. Say
2: they're a flop band because those first two records. Uh, what were the first two albums called? Vanilla.
3: One of them was just Razorlight, wasn't
2: it, was, it? That's the second one, yeah. Um, what was the first one? Up all night. Oh, okay. So the second album, Razorlight, and I remember this. I've said this before, but like Q magazine, which I would have bought religiously at the time, when I opened up my beloved Q magazine and saw that Razorlight's self-titled debut or second album rather was given five red stars, I was like, "That's the end of this magazine,"
0: and I burned it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and my association
2: there. with this magazine. That album is fucking horrendous. Um, but yeah, like it, they were on top of the world. They were like they could do no wrong. And then for some reason, everyone was just like, we've had enough of that now. That's it. Third album, didn't really do much. And then the solo album. But they are back together. There was that bizarre photo shoot when they kind of, he formed like a new lineup and they look like pirates or something. Um, I was reading a piece in The Guardian. Laura Barton wrote a piece in 2014, a year after the failure of Burrell 1. Barrel 1 I can never
3: d- Borel it, I think bar- it's Borel I think Burrell, it's Borel yeah. yeah. It's just funnier to say Borel <laughs>
2: barrel, yeah. Barrel barrel, 1 barrel 1 Sounds like you know Like an attempt to reach The, the moon or something and
3: Basil yeah.
0: faulty. It sounds like to me Like or something yeah. I don't know, I mean like... A BBC comedy character from the 1970s. Like.
2: There are people who who make the point that maybe he was a bit hard done by. Laura Barton in 2014 said, uh, 10 years into his career, I rather think we should form a collective U-turn on the Johnny Burrell most hated man in rock stance and just go right out and appoint him a national treasure. You know, we rot our brains with tripe like Maiden, Chelsea. We allow Liz Hurley to get away with white jeans and Damien Hurst to make diamond encrusted skulls. We let John Lydon advertise butter. Borel is better value than the all. This is the man who recently claimed that one would be more likely to find out what's going on by walking down the street with a guitar than by reading a newspaper. He did say that. It was pretty funny. Um, Fuck me.
3: <laughs> what's yeah. wrong with Elizabeth Hurley's white jeans?
2: I don't know. It's the Guardian Elizabeth and her crystal skulls. Uh, I think of him now with great affection. I think of him at his ludicrous best, bare chested on a Harley Davidson at South by Southwest, sitting axle-deep in mud in a pastel-hued sports car at Glastonbury, dating Hollywood stars, shirtless, again, on the cover of Vogue, beside a supermodel. And I think this is what we want in our rock star landscape. A writer of some damn fine tunes who, gave, who is also boundlessly entertaining... Give this man record deals in perpetuity. Give him a television show, a radio program, a guitar-based roving reporter role in the evening news. Let him run free forever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All I got her from that was that he's uh, he 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 got his car stuck in southwest and in, in Muck Glastonbury, I think, or Glastonbury. Sorry. Um, I've seen him interviewed, and they ask
2: questions like, you know, what's the biggest misconception about you, and do you think, you know, blah 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 blah. And he seems very uncomfortable. Like, like there, but there is a. He can be very brash and funny in interviews, and he can also be very kind of guarded. I think it's astonishing that he still has a career. Fair play to him. But yeah, that's all album will live in infamy as Mm. just the great death knell of the rock star that we just can't kill. And I wonder, I do wonder though, for nearly in closing, uh, I wonder if Johnny Burrell begat Matty Healy. Would we have Matty Healy? If not for the wild histrionics of... Rock's most confident man, Johnny Burrell.
3: Oh my God, Maddie Healy, or Johnny Burrell looks at Maddie Healy and he goes, who are you? And Maddie Healy says, I'm you, but stronger.
2: Yeah,
3: there
2: it is. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. All right, 100%. what's your runner-up?
3: Um, my runner-up is kind of an event, more than anything, um, oh, and you I, could definitely I, I say... I can guess what
2: this is. Can you? Is it a certain festival? Oh, no. Oh, okay.
3: Oh, you you went more... Yeah. Uh, well, okay, we'll just say... There's certainly bad blood between this person and someone else now. Talked earlier about Taylor Swift re-recording "Speak Now." Why is she re-recording those albums? Uh, because she was previously locked in a dispute with her former record label, Big Machine Records. Its founder Scott Borchetta, and new owner Scooter Braun,
2: Scooter Braun over
3: difficulties with her masters, and she wanted to buy them. They were like, "No bueno." So yeah, my flop is to be honest. Scooter Braun ever getting involved with this because they've just they've they've made Taylor Swift stronger and more powerful in a way that truly scares me and I don't know as I think the re-record thing is so interesting but I actually think it's also affecting her current song writing and how she's like constantly looking back and like re-recording old material but anyway for anyone who is unfamiliar with this uh Taylor Swift signed uh ended up signing a record deal with Republic Records in November 2018 after her big machine contract expired and then the media reported in June 2019 that Scooter Braun had purchased Big Machine from Borchetta for $330 million. Now, Scooter Braun is a big player in the music industry. He's Justin Bieber's manager, Ariana Grande, uh, Demi Lovato's at one point. I'm not sure if he still is. Um, but by buying that, uh, he became the owner of all the masters music videos and artworks copyrighted by Big Machine, including those of Swift's first six studio albums, which include Speak Now, which we spoke about earlier. Uh, Swift went to Tumblr uh, to say she had tried to purchase the Masters, but Bing Machine had offered unfavourable conditions and that she knew the label would sell them to someone else, but did not expect Braun as the buyer, recalling him as being an incessant manipulative bully. They have, like, history, obviously, at one point as well. I think he might have been managing Kanye or was involved with Kanye. We know what happened with Taylor Swift and Kanye. I don't need to tread that line. Mentioned he just he manages Justin Bieber. She's obviously very good friends with Selena Gomez. I don't think Justin Bieber had been very nice in the media or, like, on social media to Taylor Swift. So this was automatically, like, big red flag for her. Then in October 2020, Scooter sold the Masters to the Disney family's investment firm, Shamrock Holdings, for... $405 million so he still made like a sweet profit there Um, but he sold it uh, on the condition that he keeps profiting uh, from the masters like from streams and whatever else. Taylor Swift really fucking annoyed so I I think Shamrock went to her uh, with an offer for an equity partnership and she was like fuck off. So then she was like I'm going to re-record The six albums, so that's uh, Taylor Swift: Fearless, Speak Now, Red, which she's already released, nineteen eighty nine, and Reputation. I'm sorry, she's has already re released Fearless as well. So there's a couple to go. Um, But every time I think about this, I'm just like, I'm glad it happened because it's such an interesting news story. But there's a part of me that just does this haunt (laughs) Scooter Braun in his sleep, in his thoughts. Like, and even beyond the money thing, like he's become public enemy number one and he is forever hated and forever tainted because of this move and like that's kind of flop behaviour His my name opinion. is
2: Scooter Braun the guy <laughs> I never had a fucking chance I'm sorry I would I would accept 400 million uh, US dollars or 405 million whatever it was if it meant that Taylor Swift didn't like me I'd be okay with that I mean is there is there a record of the Swift he's actually causing him any physical harm I don't think so he'll be fine I'd say he sleeps on a bed full of money with two beautiful women, to quote The Simpsons. <laughs> um, but also, um, yeah, no, uh, yeah, it is that thing that you mentioned at the start of this. It is that Star Wars quote of, if you strike me down now, I'll become more powerful than you can ever imagine. Um, yeah, he created a monster, and she is reacting thusly. I applaud the thing in one respect, especially for a woman in the music industry, to say, fuck you, man who did this to me. I will show you, and I will do this thing. And obviously for Tales with fans, and for her as a businesswoman, uh, this thing of constantly re-releasing new material and re-recording it is both interesting and also exceptionally savvy. You could argue it's a little bit exploitative, but, you know, she was exploited herself, so why why shouldn't she make mm. hay while the sun shines? And the fans seem to be quite receptive to it. They're very excited when a new fucking Taylor's version is announced. Um, I thought you were going to pick Shake It Off, the song, at first, and, I, and it brought me back to a time when that came out. And I was writing for Drowned In Sound at the time, may it rest in peace, and I remember Sean Adams, the editor, put around an email to the, to the writers and said, I want us to all write a paragraph or like kind of our, 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 our in- immediate reaction to this song. Whatever, you know, good, bad indifferent, whatever, just like your whatever your reaction is to this brand new blah, 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 blah. And I remember being unable to come up with anything. And I remember being really annoyed by that. And I was like, I've got nothing. I can't think of a thing. I've got no take on this. And I had to write back and be like, I, I've got nothing. I got nothing. And and to this day it annoys me. I'm like, you could've come up with something.
3: You definitely could've.
2: I couldn't in the moment. I was I was I was flummoxed. I was like I was like, I got nothing to say about this, it's just nothing. There's a very loud bird outside, by the way. I hope it's not coming in too much on the microphone.
0: Not hearing it too much. I think it's okay.
2: All right. It's it sounds it sounds aggressive. Maybe it's like a Swifty.
3: Maybe, maybe they know where we're talking about their mother. We
2: can't escape Taylor Swift this week, or in general. I, I
3: I I still don't love Shake It Off, but there's something about having this space away from it that I kind of appreciate it more. It got to that thing of being very oversaturated at the time that I kind of hated it, and I'd also make an argument that... It's probably my one skip on 1989. I think it's a blemish on an otherwise perfect album.
2: I think it's fine, not great. Uh, Didn't she get done for cultural appropriation in the video?
3: Yeah, so the video is kind of, it's supposed to be a kind of fuck you to everyone who says, like, she's not a very good dancer and she's an awkward dancer. So the video sees her, like, dancing in, in... specific garb. at one point she's like freestyling and at another point she's like in a ballet gown at one point she's like twerking which offended a lot of people because I think she'd cast majority like black backup dancers as well um, but she's she's like Teflon she's
2: oh yeah she's critic proof yeah you know okay Um, Scooter Braun can burn in hell that's what you're saying again give me that I mean, money I wouldn't go that
3: far but again we're talking about people being punished I'm like I mean like what's like what's what's his big
2: problem like you know he has to have an awkward business meeting every now and then like he'll be fine unfortunately
3: he will be fine but i'm just like i do think okay obviously he's not he's not stuck for money he's probably still making money even off the original records yeah like because i know people who still will stream the originals or like the original version of Red because there are slight differences and in the cases of specific songs they're totally different and they want to hear it as it was. So he is definitely still making money off it in some way. Maybe it wasn't the cash cow he thought it was going to be but I do just think from a reputational perspective, no pun intended, uh, that I feel like that probably doesn't that that'd be the thing that haunts him. I think that okay. people, yeah, that it's that this is the shadow that'll hang over him. That he was like the big bad wolf when it's like something that's very regularly done. Like Justin Bieber just sold his masters to this private equity company whose yeah, yeah. name escapes yeah. me for like millions and millions of dollars.
2: Yeah. So shake it off plays as Scooter Braun's coffin goes into the ground. Uh, number two for me. Uh, this was a coin toss and I didn't pick Irish pop group Six. I was going to pick them. <laughs> I was going to pick them. Uh, they didn't really go anywhere. They, do you remember
3: them? Remember? Do, of course I do. Don't ask stupid questions. One of them early. became
2: a Fiona Gale counselor. I think the one that I fancied. She's from Cove. The one that I fancied. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I th- I she, she.
3: runs a dance school. F-
2: she's so hot. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm allowed to say that,
3: but she became. I like, don't know her personally. Like I can't, I can't get you in uh, there. Like.
2: I was like, I was like, she's from Cork. Do you know her? Like, <laughs> pretty my
3: phone. <laughs> sure she's married and otherwise engaged. Am I going to yeah. get
2: cancelled for saying a woman is hot? Probably. No. Um, she's very attractive. Yeah. Became, anyway
3: move on Stop digging I picked Travel something Dome.
2: else For number two Here it is
3: I love to
4: hold you close Tonight and always I love to wear come I just want
2: to say, before Adam Adam has his hand up, fitting that I would objectify the female form before we play Pillow Talk by Zayn Malik, in which he does just that in the video, of course. And so just in case any confusion, by the way, I don't find Feeling Gale Counselor is hot. That wasn't. I thought she was very attractive when I was younger. That's all I'm saying. Mm. If anything, the Feeling Gale thing was the deal breaker for me. I was, like, uh, I was yeah. like, it's over now. It can never happen. Adam? What the fuck is this song? This is... Pillow Talk by Zayn. I know it hasn't a clue what it wants to be. I think it's kind of amazing. Um, I do
3: like the song. So as well. I'm
2: picking Zayn. Now this is weird because you go onto fucking YouTube or wherever, and this, of course, has millions and billions of streams. How could that be a flop? He was in One Direction. I'm talking, of course, about Zayn Malik's post One Direction career and how we are promised the new Frank Ocean.
3: I. I have, the minute this came on, I have the image of the Fader cover he did and the interview in which he said that and he's drinking orange juice and it's kind of spilling all in front of him and I was like...
2: He's not like the other four. He listens to cool music and he's going to make great music. Like
3: hip-hop, R&B influenced. I was like, this is our new pop hope. We are, I'm going to get album of the year from him I cannot wait vocally he had some of the best moments on One Direction for me and then we got this album which name I the name I cannot remember but I can name it, a couple of other tracks called, on the album that I like.
2: it's called Mind of Mine Mind of
3: Mine which There's is a bad a, title th- yeah and it has the track list that they're all in varying cases, so like yeah, it'll yeah, start yeah. lowercase <laughs> and go uppercase. There's a song called Before on that album that I do really like, but There's everything a song else called is
2: It's You, which I think is genuinely great.
3: Yes, It's You is really good. i very and I think Bill
2: of Talk, you know, it grew on me. I think it's fine as it is. Adam, critique?
3: Yeah. I've,
2: as a producer?
0: For me, like, that's what I mean about the song hasn't a clue what it wants to be. It's like doing a million and one different things. The lyrics are all very spaced out. It doesn't feel cohesive as a piece. It feels like a lot of different ideas mashed together. And I remember hearing it for the first time. I think it came out in like twenty thirteen-ish. Mm,
2: no, 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 was the, it earlier? no. No, twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen. We're I, doing the we're doing the podcast. It must be twenty sixteen.
0: I remember hearing it for the first time, listening to it on BBC Radio One, because they I think they got the exclusive on it or whatever. It's the first radio play. And I kinda had body I, I drank the Kool-Aid a little bit in terms of being like this could be really good. This
2: guy could be the new
0: Frank. This cover. guy could be the <laughs> new, yeah. <laughs> that Fader cover could be right. Um,
2: also, the, yeah, the year The Blonde came out, hilarious that we were like, this could be the new Frank. I <laughs> just,
0: like, uh, to me, I, I listened to it, I was so disappointed. Everyone was. I was... Everyone is. So, so disappointed by it. Like, I don't think, like, give it to anyone else, I think the song would have completely fell under the radar. I don't think it would have had the success that it did like yeah of course this song was the first song Zayn Malik put out of course it was going to have great success I think if it was anyone else
2: Sure no I see that and I think ultimately I I think it's fine I mean I don't think it's terrific but I think it's fine I, I enjoy it and I enjoy going back to it but I think that there's just kind of nothing here there's nothing to really take away he released some bizarre second album called Icarus Falls I think it was at the end of like December when you should never release music and it was an hour and a half long and no one fucking cared uh, did he put out another album? He about did. I think Sarah there was Diesel some or something that was a single.
3: I think there was some kind of label issues as well. I think there's a part of it that's like it's as much the label as it was him
2: yeah it just hasn't happened like is what I've chosen and like in fact this talk now of you know a oh, will One Direction reunite like he needs that I think
3: Nobody is now, Listening was the no, 2021 album well, and yeah. what an apt title Reve- <laughs> itself. yeah
2: of course classic case of that look listen the man is worth millions and millions of dollars he's having a great time he's doing whatever he wants to do yada 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 but I think as an artist who could have gone on to make some kind of interesting statements we all thought he'd be the one because you know Nall Horne's doing the Nall Horne thing it's pretty cookie cutter uh, Harry Styles is the one who's actually gone on to be the more mm. interesting pop artist even if you know I still think there's all kinds of limitations there and he's not quite the incredible thing that he's been hailed as being I still think you know he's he's, he's tried harder he's been more interesting uh, Louis just in the background fucking psychopath Liam Payne is giving us great entertainment but <laughs> I feels like Zayn was was the guy that you would have bet on from the more muso
0: perspective. Yeah, I think that's what... It just didn't fucking happen. I think that's what made it more disappointing as well when you heard this first. It was just like, oh God, yeah. really? You FJ,
2: know? where do you stand on the Zane years?
3: It's the I'm so glad you picked this. It's the greatest tragedy in pop, in my opinion. It's ju- and there's a part of me that actually really truly believes that album is in him and that artist is in him. But I don't know if we'll ever get it because I think he is also like very allergic to fame, allergic to the industry. And I can't blame him for what he was put through and the kind of, the different, significantly different experience he had being the non-white member of One Direction. I think people are quick to forget that and whatever else, like add all the pressures they had and then tripl- like triple it, quadruple it. Um you can see the glimmers on this album. You can. And like vocally, you can't question it. But it's just I don't know. It it kills me. And even when he had those most recent two albums, like there's a song on Icarus Falls that's called Sarah Diesel, and it's so fucking bad. And even when he released that nobody's listening album, I was just like, "What? What? You, like, what is this? Where's the? Where's the promotion? Where are the videos? Where's like? I want to buy into you as a whole. And if you want to be indie weird or grand, but like, I don't know. Like half the time, all he's doing is spawn on Instagram. He does this weird." Harry Potter sponsored content, like for like avatars you can make. It's so, and I'm just like fair play. Like make your bag. You fucking hate this, and you've tapped out grand. But there's a part of me that's just like, maybe one day, maybe one day he'll wake up and he'll be like, today's the day, and he'll give it to us. But I'm not holding out hope.
2: All right, uh, your number one, please.
3: My number one, the love of my life, the love of my entire life.
2: I gotta guess who this is. This could be, like, I, I don't know who this is, but I feel like I...
3: You, if it doesn't immediately come to you, you will never guess.
2: Is it Ashley Simpson? No! Is it Ashley Tisdale? No! Is it Vanessa Hudgens? No!
3: Who the fuck is it? It's Christian pop princess Stacey Argo. Oh, I never would have got that. <laughs> <laughs> she is uh, my favourite flop. Stacy Joy Arco, an American singer, songwriter, occasional actress. She recorded her first album and released it in two, the year 2000. It was called Genuine. Sold 13,000 units in its first week of release. And then after that album, she sent to a new record label, Virgin Records, and started to record her self-titled album, Stacy Arco, 2003, which is uh, where that song is from. And that song is called Stuck. Uh, didn't do incredibly well. I think got to number 59 on the Billboard chart. Certified gold, uh, over 500,000 sales in the UX. Uh, that single, a uh, stock, as I mentioned, reached 52 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart, but received greater success worldwide, including here. I remember getting the CD for Christmas off Mr. Claus. Thank you for that. And play like playing it to death on my CD player. Uh, she's a second single. There's got to be more to life. Maybe you know that song. It's like? gotta be my to life, chasing never every temporary. Eye. I definitely
2: would have seen her pop up on like you know top thirty hits or something. She
3: but. was permanently on pop car, I'll tell you, and she was permanently on my iPod. She was number one on my iPod. Let me tell you, never mind these charts. <laughs> um, that peaked at number thirty on the Billboard Hot one hundred, and I think worldwide the album has gotten three point five uh, million sales. Uh, she was on two episodes of American Dreams. She ended up being. Dropped from her label, uh, I think it was two thousand and five. So only um, two years later, but she'd been signed for like seven years at that point. So just a bit slow in terms of releasing the music. Um, she took kind of a break, I think, then between the between that and being dropped, where she worked in like a seafood restaurant for a while because she was so tired from touring. Like at one point, she she was supporting Destiny's Child on tour in the states. Like she was primed to be. A pop star. And like, she had it. Like, vocally... Stacey Arco is such a good album, and it was only when, you'll never believe my shock, when I loaded it into Windows Media Player all those years ago, and it automatically like reads the information for you, or whatever, and it came up as the genre was like religious. I was like, what the hell? Sis <laughs> technically qualifies as like Christian pop. I think she was up for she was up for it in one of the categories uh, at the Grammys as well. Like her, like her family are Creed. missionaries and
2: yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Scott stop. takes this one.
3: Oh, Anyway, yeah, she she just never quite got the success after that self-titled album. She had another album after that. It was called Beautiful Awakening 2006 and the first single was called I'm Not Missing You. Uh, and again, just neither of them really went anywhere. Most recently in 2015, she performed as part of the house band on uh, Stephen Colbert's show in the States. And there's just a part of me that's just like, I wanted more from you, you know what I mean. But then, on the other hand, what could have happened to her? You know, what could have been? She could have. We maybe we wouldn't have had the great self-titled album that we got. Which, again, not being hyperbolic, one of the greatest albums of all time.
2: Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, is she particularly religious these days, or is that like?
3: Unfamiliar, unfamiliar, she she keeps she a low profile like now. Six I would kids say. No, but I will say, you listen to. It's not overtly religious in terms of. Teens, I will say like there's a, okay so there's another single off this album called I Could Be The One right and there's like references to so the chorus is I could I'm not going to sing it it's like I could be the one whatever you want me to do uh, I don't have much to give Lord I'm ready but she's actually so at the time I'm like okay she's taught she wants to get with this fella and she's like you know I don't have that much to offer but like it could be me I could be the one but in hindsight it's she's actually talking about Jesus Christ that she could be the one She's ready to be Christ's
0: I am helper. Re- I am ready to be the new Jesus Christ.
3: <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> she could be. She is in my house.
2: Beautiful awakening does sound a bit a bit baptismal, doesn't
0: yeah, it? Yeah, there is a bit of evangelism.
3: I
2: went for a walk at my beautiful awakening. <laughs> what succession,
5: you know?
3: Oh Big anyway, day. the the, <laughs> the release day. of that album was like so delayed. Uh yeah, released in the US. or it, I don't I think it it ended up being paused for release in the US and Canada, but it ended up on streaming anyway. Um, and then there was a tour that was supposed to happen and the tour was cancelled. Uh, and then it was on her MySpace after this kind of massive flap that she announced she was going to spend some time in Africa, decompress. Um, but I think she's happy enough just to live in the life. She's married to some fella. They have two kids. But it's just one of those things that it's... I don't know this f- was formed so much of my childhood and it comes up in conversation with like fellow optimists about this song about There's Gotta Be More To Life about I Could Be The One about this album in general and about how hard it went now in some ways not all of the songs have aged very well in the sense of like some of them are like very quintessentially 2000s. There's a ballad on there called I Promise and it's very like finger snap choreography. That's Will I be there when you call me in the middle the night and it goes like that. But I, I love her and I just what could have been? You know, she's the flop that I'm just like what could have been? You could have been a bop. You could have been my bop queen. My bop Qu- Christian queen. She's, Try and say uh, that five times fast.
2: She's top of the flops.
3: Top of the flops. She
2: could have been a contender. Top um, of the flops. I always thought it was Stacey Orico, or but now...
3: I'm, I'm open to correction on that pronunciation. Okay. I'm. Th-
2: it doesn't so matter. All that matters is that you had a connection.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, my number one in the flops, uh, this man has a connection to music like few others in the world uh, to the point that I just, I, I still can't believe that this is a real thing. I still think it's a joke. I still think I've had a psychotic break and this actually isn't a thing. Bush. Apparently, it is. So, here we go. Here's my number one.
1: Riding, I'll night satisfied wherever we roam. You're the star of the show. You shimmer like gold. Now, baby, let's ride. Right. We got nothing but time. You get all the reactions. You're the main attraction. It's no surprise! Gotta like your style! You're the perfect distraction! You're the main attraction!
3: This is this is the music that they play when like they send people into Love Island and it's like, hello boys! <laughs> Uh the Bombshell who- music. Who the hell is this?
2: Well, Fanula, um
5: <laughs>
2: <laughs> It's uh it's Jeremy Renner's music career. What? <laughs> it's Jeremy Renner. Uh a man who gave himself a very bad review recently, uh when he hurled himself under some machinery, but he's he's doing okay, so it's fine. Uh Jeremy Renner is from the school of actors who confess that actually my real love is uh music
0: mm. uh, he said, um, <laughs> and can't you tell Dave he can't
2: told People tell? Magazine uh, my family was my first love that song, sorry that song was called Main Attraction by I guess. yeah I figured which I believe was like a collaboration with Jeep when it came out uh, yeah it was right
3: yeah, oh, yeah it's such Sponcon sound of music 10 million views
2: on YouTube but I'm sorry this doesn't exist uh, he said in People Magazine my family was my first love and then music acting came into my reign when I was 20 music has always been my first love as far as something other than my family uh, like this is like when the song. God, he's out. really
0: there saying, "Oh, it's close. It's so close. Yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. Close. It's close second, but it's so <laughs>
2: close." It's so generic though. Um, he's like, "When I was twelve, I remember I was in my house, and during the summer, we cut out instruments and painted a keyboard and drums all made of cardboard because he came from a you know poor, a modest background. But now he's a megastar. Uh, I put it on show and charged my sister a dollar and all her friends a dollar to come in and watch us play cardboard instruments. I think I made five bucks. Uh, what a ruse." One thing that makes music greater is I get to stay here in my home and do it and get to be around the people I love. During my other love, which is movies, it takes me away. Um, he has a bunch of songs. He has released an album. Uh, I don't know if he's, he's performed the occasional show, I think, but, like, you can't tell me that this is a thing, you know? It it, it doesn't make any sense to me. And the, the styles of music that are in this, it's like Imagine Dragons Goes Country or something. I mean, he's done some covers as well. Do you want to hear a cover?
3: Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Okay, let's let's hear Jeremy taking on one of the oldest and greatest songs In of all time. It calls the, call the right
1: inside. It's pain the way of many old boy son guide I know I'm
3: With laughter, but I'm actually kind of welling up because oh, I'm so. Adam is actually. Adam was actually crying with the
2: He's gone. Was the. Was the. My father!
3: <laughs> he's like, there he is. Aha! Oh, he's singing like in cursive at some point and he's like, my father!
2: <laughs> oh. this, is, this isn't a joke. He released a cover of House of the Rising Sun. <sighs> This is him being sincere. I'm not. This is not a gag. That's this is,
3: what makes it work. Yeah, it makes a he oh,
0: fucking hell.
2: Is so Jeremy. earnest with this shit. It's unbelievably. It's it's genuinely shocking. Like, and again, you go onto YouTube, you see all the comments, and they're all like, "My favorite Avenger nails it again." You know, like it's just like you know, fucking another incredible
3: Avenger. Another
2: <laughs> incredible heartfelt ballad from Jeremy. Like, like there. I don't know what's happened. I don't know he's not like it, I, I think he's actually a pretty good actor I mean like, I actually I liked him for years before he was even all that famous I saw him in an episode of Angel of all things
3: were you on the Jeremy Runner app?
2: no I never actually downloaded that because it looked like a weird um, fucking I don't know like the fucking Nexium sex cult or something I was just like where's this gonna go it looked like a, like a weird pyramid scheme or something I was like I'm not getting involved in this <laughs> uh, an app that was just too good too pure for this world <laughs> so, so they had to get rid of it um, but I, I followed his career I saw him pop up and stuff like my beloved The Assassination of Jesse James by the character before. Adam is still laughing the delivery was delivery was was genuinely next level there oh, fucking hell. and then The Hurt Locker which he was, he was amazing in and it we talked really about this on the Colin Farrell episode of Flop Culture you know I really like rooting for the guy I think he's fantastic in stuff like The Town and uh, Wind River. You know, he's better when he's not doing the superhero action movie thing. That's clearly paycheck stuff. He strikes me as a bit of a weirdo. Uh, but, uh, you know, like the music thing is just baffling. It's like, what, what has told you that you're good at this? And just for exhibit C... Let's have
5: another.
3: another There can't be another. Let's have
2: another cover that Jeremy did of a '90s classic, a very sad song that was mentioned on the podcast a few months ago. And uh, yeah, let's just hear him. Cut to the quick and get inside our hearts and let us feel something.
3: I can't do this again. (laughs) There (laughs) was this girl
4: who wouldn't go and change with the girls in the change room. It when they finally made marks all over her body. she couldn't quite explain it. They'd always just been
0: that man is swimming in a sea of auto-tunes it's unbelievable he sounds like
3: Cher <laughs> <laughs> what? how can you be like I love music so much it fuels me it's my passion and then just go like <sighs> <laughs> it's so bad. this is what I don't get I tell about I
2: you fucking T-Pain would step in and say that's too much that's, Jeremy you just turn
3: that knob down a small bit like that's
2: him doing a cover of Crash Test Dummies mmm mmm mm, mm, which it's, featured on top five <laughs> Yarl anthems on the podcast recently by the way it's oh, never they say
3: it's for the love of the music or whatever and if it was they would do it privately and have a tablespoon of shame as I like to assign to people who don't have enough shame what a it's great, these,
2: that could be his album title
3: a tablespoon of shame well if Jeremy if you want to, it's free do you not like it?
2: like the app that you no longer have
3: yeah just just because you can doesn't mean you should you know what I mean
2: it's shocking it, it it is it is the ultimate Hollywood hubris where it's like I can be everything I can be a song and dance man like it's the fucking 20s you know it's absolutely outrageous and, and no one has stepped in because they're like yeah you know I'm, I'll be your producer and I'll I'll do what I can and I'll take the paycheck I will say because this clearly isn't ever going to leave the sphere of whatever hermetically sealed world it exists in If he announced a gig tomorrow in like Dublin, the Academy, we have
0: to go. hundred percent. I'm
2: buying the first ticket. Like I'm there, and absolutely. And Jeremy, if you're listening, I'd buy
0: all of the tickets. Just come on the podcast anytime. We could just experience that. I was contacted once
2: because I wrote an article about this, and I was contacted once by some American podcast that was like, "Can you record like a bit about Jeremy Renner?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah." And they're like, "We'll send you the episode," and they never did. I don't even know if it happened. So yeah.
3: Surely you can Google search that and find that out. I must I mean, do that. Like uh, a, that's
2: a that that's a task for next week, Dave. But this week, Dave, we'll end the podcast now. Thusly, um, yeah, what a wonderful journey it's been, Fanilla
3: God, this was so much fun. <laughs> you went you went flappier than I did. I would say.
2: Well, like, yeah, I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> <laughs> know, the first time I've heard that line leaving that in. Jesus Jesus Christ. Christ. What do you mean, like come on I'll be like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? like turn like how do you not turn into a cruise liner comedian when you hear a line like that? That's I true. still feel I feel really bad for saying that a woman was hot earlier on. Dad, bad...
3: I hope you're cutting all this because I can't. I can't be listening to you go on complaining about Colin shepherd It's fine. It's,
2: grand. it's no, no, fine. No, no. Is that who that was? It, it, it was the, the the brunette. Yeah. That was her name. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know. Sheppard is, I believe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, what? What was that? When that was that? Two thousand two. Mm. 2002 feels you're a star.
3: Sounds about right. Yeah, I was like Maybe 18. slightly earlier. I, but was it's not any yeah. I was eighteen.
0: I was eighteen.
2: She was like a crush. I, I had a crush her. That's okay, isn't it? That, that's that's imm- fine. That's, that's
3: fine, Dave. I just feel like you're not
2: allowed. You know, this is me getting very like. Well, these days, you know. What?
3: Don't start now, because that's flop behavior. Don't. Well, these days you can't <laughs> say anything. Flop. <laughs> flop.
2: Can you call someone hot? I don't know. Yes. Like, yeah. Okay. Can you call someone hot to so there's bounds? When you're uh, when you picks or something. I'll feel better if you objectify a man.
3: They have to be Irish. No. Okay. Anyone? Just
2: be anyone. Jeremy Renner.
3: Jeremy Renner. What a hot man. (laughs) But I always objectify (laughs) men because. I feel like an even playing field. Maybe yeah. that's wrong as well, though. You know what I mean? Because yeah, 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 According yeah. to you, you, can't say anything. Can we finish I, this conversation? Because if you like, we're steering into church. Yeah, no, I absolutely. Don't want yeah, to be. yeah, yeah.
2: I'm um, Where can people like like you're doing? Bandwagons is back. Uh, it's everywhere. We can get your podcast. Flop Culture as well. You're like you're fucking everywhere. It's crazy. Where like where can people find you if they haven't? It's
3: disgusting. It's, I'm it's disgusting. disgusting. It should be germs. stopped. Yeah. Uh, I'm at Finula J everywhere on social. If you're interested in reality TV and sustainability, what a combination! Bandwagons podcast is back. It is a podcast. I do with my friend on a bandwagon that we talk about every week. You're not guaranteed to learn something or anything, but you might have a laugh. And then flop culture is where we talk about our favourite flops. We put trash on a pedestal. We take a look at the uh, pop culture at large that week, talk about it a little bit. And then I invite a guest on to talk about their favourite flops. Almost recently we had James Dempsey on, and he talked about Drop Dead Gorgeous, 1999 mockumentary black comedy movie. That's... That's the kind of vibe. If that's what you're into, come over. We'd love to have you.
2: Yeah, it's all great. And thank you so much for coming in. And thanks for
3: having me. It's always a pleasure. Oh,
2: listen, like you're fucking family, you know. We love having you on the podcast. We'll have you back on soon, I hope. so. And this was a really good, one, so thank you. And of course, it sounded amazing. Thanks to the wonderful, the greatest. He's not a flop. He is a hero, a superstar. And I loved your reaction to Jeremy Renner. It's Sonic Architect Adam, everybody.
0: I still, there's tears in my eyes still. It's just obscene isn't it it's crazy it should be stopped it should
2: be it should it be allowed no Um, my name is Dave Hanrowdy. this has been No Encore there will be No Encore tell your friends hit up patreon.com slash no encore let the world know that this podcast exists and is a really good time see you next week bye bye